You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. I am Jeremy, and with me is, as usual, Kylie. Hello, hello. And... Unusually, Andreas, possibly the best player from Sydney in Australia. I <laughs> couldn't have said it better myself. Happy to be here. And today we're covering a very special episode on the Dark Powers of Dolgodor, which is one of the forces I've been using a lot. And we've got Andreas, our expert, because he's been using them probably more than me, and it's probably a little bit better than me at them as well. So we've got his expertise on. Isn't that right, Andreas? Um, yeah, not too shabby. have been running him for about a year now, so I think I know a couple of his tricks. Fantastic. Yeah, it should, should be good fun. We're looking forward to spoiling that with everyone because it's about time that we, we give away our secrets. We've had a good run with the Necromancer, so it's time to share. Know thine enemy. Dark Powers of Dolgodur Dolgodur was once a stronghold of Sauron whilst he was under the guise of the Necromancer and was abandoned during the Third Age. However, in more recent years, a darkness has begun to spread outwards from the old fortress's crumbling walls. A sickness has descended upon the Greenwood, giving it the name of Mirkwood, and nothing good grows there anymore. Within the ruins of Dolgodur, the Necromancer has returned, building his strength as he prepares to unleash his power against the free peoples of Middle-earth. The Dark Lord only needs to regain the One Ring to once more bring devastation upon Middle-earth and cast it into shadow. It is from his position in Dol Gordor that Sauron intends to orchestrate his hunt for the Ring. To his side, Sauron has summoned his most deadly servants to aid him in his dark quest, the Nazgul. However, these incarnations of the Black Riders are unlike any that have been seen before or will be seen again. Clad in thick spiked armour and wielding a variety of deadly and unusual weaponry, these Nazgul are more suited to the ways of combat rather than the dark sorceries they have been known for in other forms. Alongside the Nazgul fight the Castellans of Dol Guldur, mindless and tortured spirits mangled by Sauron's malice and bent to his will. It is these forces that will lead the Dark Lord's hunt for the One Ring. Sauron also hungers for the Rings of Power, hoping to use them in order to track down the One Ring. It is a task of the monstrous Keeper of the Dungeons to locate and retrieve these rings by whatever means he deems necessary. The Keeper of Dungeons takes great delight in the maiming and torturing of those that are held in the cells of Dol Guldur, his lust for blood driving him onwards to complete his task. Legions of Orcs have been drawn to the ever-growing darkness of Dol Guldur, preparing for the wars that are yet to come. Packs of feral hunter orcs, along with numerous Falwags, litter the stone floors of the ruined fortress, and rank upon rank of vicious Gundabad orcs head up the ruined city's armies. With Sauron's hosts built, it would not be long before he unleashes his full power upon Middle-earth. The Dark Powers of Dolgodor has probably one of the more expensive heroes in the game, but one of the more famous in the, the, the legions of the, the game, the Necromancer of Dolgodor. For 250 points... You get a spirit from Dolgaldor, infantry, and a hero of legend. So not like a monster, like his Sauron counterpart, which we talked about in the previous episode. His movement six, which is okay. Fight seven, and shoot four plus. I haven't found a use for his shoot yet. His strength of six, defense of eight, 
Attacks only one, wounds only one, courage is six, which is okay. Uh, three might, 25 will, and an asterisk for fate, because he's got the special rule, he cannot yet take physical form, where he may use his will points as fate points if he wishes, and he does wish that sometimes, because it's pretty good to stay alive when you've got some will. He has heroic channeling, as pretty much all our magic casters have so far, heroic strength, which, interesting. I didn't know he had that. And then Heroic Challenge, which is also interesting. I don't know that that's going to be very useful as a hero of legend. Uh, special rules, though. Ancient Evil, which is really good. That's a, a neg one to, to courage test around him. But that's that's a big one, isn't it? That's the It's a big inches. one, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, the one that really matters. Yeah, fantastic. Terror, which really matters as well. And the Will of Evil, which means if he fights some combats, he's throwing away a point of will at the end of the turn, uh, no matter how many combats he fights, which is usually zero, sometimes one, sometimes two if you're lucky. Uh, He's got Drain Soul, which means that any model that suffers a wound from him during the fight phase, during the fight phase, is automatically slain regardless of the number of wounds on its profile. Uh, You can use Fate to avoid this if you want, if you're a hero and you have Fate, but if you don't you take all the wounds out. That's very useful as well. You can take down pretty much anything in the game with him in combat, which is a nasty surprise. And he's got the Master of the Nazgul rule, which works later with our Nazgul. So any Nazgul of Dol Guldur in the same army list as the Necromancer, which is pretty much all of them, gain a bonus of ones to their Unholy Resurrection special while he's alive on the board. So there's no range for that, which is really good. Most people, like when they, they ask questions about it, ask for a range, no range whatsoever. And we've got finally... The Necromancer is, in fact, Sauron. So this is our first spoiler of the episode. So the Necromancer is, in fact, Sauron. <laughs> if you haven't read The Hobbit from, like, whatever it was, the 1930s, I'm sorry. This means you cannot have both Sauron and the Necromancer in the same army as much as you want to. I don't know if you want to. That's a lot of points. But you can't. Anyway, uh, Andreas, can you go through the magic powers? Because this is where the Necromancer really shines. Yes, so the Necromancer probably has one of the most comprehensive lists of magical powers in the game. Most of his spells, interestingly enough, are 12 inches, uh, with the exception of Instill Fear. So he's got, he's got Drain Courage, Casting on a 2+, Transfix on a 2+, Compel on a 4+, Instill Fear on a 4+, Shroud of Shadows on a 4+, which is a really interesting one, which I, I think we'll get into a bit more mm. later. Your staff is broken on a 4+, which is great considering the... Uh, the wizard meta kind of going around at the moment, and Chill Soul on a 5+, as well as your standard Sap Will on a 5+. Yeah, now out of those spells, we've got seven of them. Oh, no, we've got eight of them. Eight of them, wow, that's, that's a huge amount. Oh, actually, sorry, uh, let, me, let me interject for one second. Sure, um, go for it. Uh, FAQ'd in, sorry, errated in. He's actually got Curse as well now on Ooh. a 4+. Oh, I didn't even know that one. Thanks for telling me that. That's, that's pretty handy. What's this curse do again? Curse actually removes fate points. So um, standard cast, I believe, is just the one fate, and um, it's D3 on a channeled, from what I understand, but I'll just double-check that for you. Yes, can confirm that uh, that is the case. One note, though, I should mention that a channeled uh, removes all remaining fate points, not D3. Wonderful. Yeah, and if you target a cavalry model, you have to choose whether the rider (laughs) or the mount is the target. That's actually useful because I think with a Gandalf the White that's got some will on his mount. He does, but he's also got one fate on the the shadow. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, but look, that's... That's a, so. It's nine spells. That's a fantastic amount of spells. One for each of these wraiths. They're all pretty useful, quite frankly. You've got Drain Courage, which is like it's a pretty low effort spell. So if you've got nothing to do, just just taking down Courage combines well with the rest of your army. That can be quite handy as a bit of an annoyance. 
Transfix is my go-to. I love a transfix just to basically it stops people striking. Is is it's one of its main things, but it also stops them from moving, which is particularly useful as well. And it's it's just so low effort as well. Casting on a two plus, we'll go through a special rule very quickly with him. But casting on a two plus is just so easy. Compel on a four plus, it's a big jump from the transfix, but it's incredibly useful to move around. Instill fear. I don't use this one a lot because it's you've got to get it. Right, but we'll talk about that in tactics, how you set this up, because it's it's a good one. It's just hard to use. Shroud of Shadows is a very good one, but also takes a little bit of setup, but, but basically just it takes a friend to set it up with, essentially. Your Staff is Broken is fantastic at keeping Gandalfs and uh, Radagast and anyone else who has a Staff at bay. That's, that's great on a 4+. Chill Soul, honestly, that's my go-to spell. I love a Chill Soul. Just being able to do a wound on a 5+, which is... Much easier to cast than you think it is. I usually throw essentially the equivalent of one dice at it early on and just start flexing and saying how easy it is for me to kill things. And then Sap Will is useful if you're taking magic on magic uses as well. Combines well, the staff is broken and the curse as well. Uh, so I'll go into now straight away the army bonus. Now, if you're taking the Necromancer, you want this army bonus. It's amazing. So whenever he attempts to cast the magical power, which is every turn, quite frankly, by expending one or more will points, he automatically adds one free will to the casting test. So if you throw one die, so out of his 25 will, you throw a one die chill soul, it becomes a two die chill soul, which means you're passing half the time. It's so good. Oh, it, it's honestly, this is hands down one of the best power or the powers are army bonuses in the game, mainly because he does not need to be your army leader to gain the benefit, which we'll get a bit more into later. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a bit sneaky because you'd, you'd need another hero of legend to stop that, but you, there's definitely some options there. But the Necromancer, let's go through just a few of the roles with him. Uh, firstly, you've got, uh, just very basically, a Defense 8, 25 potential fate tank if you want to. So if you want to use as the most expensive tank, he's really, really hard to take down. One of the roles he's actually quite suitable for, and you probably find it's more common now than before, he's actually fantastic at soaking up a, a good Iron Hills ballista to the face uh, and, and coming through with essentially no scars. Yeah, he he's one of the few guys that don't mind getting hit by a siege weapon at all because you, you know you're going to eventually pass some fate and then... It's not a problem. It does nothing at all. So you're right. That's a good one. I also don't mind it for, like, I don't like him in combat because it often means he doesn't cast spells. But if there's something I don't want in combat with the rest of my army, it's so good to put him in because most of the times they won't kill him. And then other times, if you get lucky with him and he, he has some friends or he manages to roll a six with his fight seven, he can he can actually kill them outright. So he's he's surprisingly good at combat because he's he's an excellent tank that occasionally does incredible wounds. You can also set him up as well to be very offensive in combat as well if you get some friends in. If you can get a trap with a necromancer, I think it, I think it speaks for itself what what damage he can do essentially. So I, I wouldn't. I'm a bit. I'm a bit different to your opinion, Jeremy. I think he actually excels in combat, but only in the right situation. Mm. Um, if you chuck a banner behind him, I mean, well, essentially he's got two attacks with strength six, uh, still winning on defense. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say he doesn't win on courage, which is a bit disappointing, but you, your chances are you will get the wound and, and it really pushes your opponent to keep those heavy heroes away just in case they don't pass that that one or two fade, essentially. Yeah, the only concern I have with is once he's in combat is that, that sometimes you don't have a huge amount of might in his army all the time. Sometimes you do. Sometimes, sometimes you have a huge amount, but when you don't, and it's really, really, you're trying to be conservative with it. You don't really want to use his might for heroic moves if you can, because there's some really cool stuff to use it with. And then I find that sometimes I'll just engage him and then then take down my army that way. So if he gets engaged by like idiots, 
sometimes it's a real pain because it's just taking down his will and he's not going to do his spells. But you're right. Like once once uh, the combat's on, he is incredibly lethal in combat. He's one that that, that he will kill things. Um, and if you get him into heroes, he'll kill the hero probably just as easily as he kills troops. So so getting him to kill a hero or two in combat would be amazing. Yeah, I think the only the only issue I would have if he's stuck in combat, the real problem is because of his large base, it's very difficult to get him out of combat again, especially when he's one of the only models on that size base that'll only move six inches away and he can't really get away too fast, too far. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And that's that's my biggest concern of them because we'll go through it in the tactics, but the way to beat this army is to get in combat with a Necromancer, but it's also the way to win with this army, which is a bit of a tricky one. You have to set it up really well. Yep. So and so he's got that. So he's combat hero. Uh, not the not the like he's a very unusual combat hero in that, in that not he, in a traditional sense. Definitely. Yeah. No. No. He's not because he doesn't just have multiple attacks and just run forward and kill everything. He's he's not going to kill pretty much more than one guy a turn unless you get a really really strange situation with heroic combats, which you can do. But most of the time, it's potential to kill one. Most of the time, he'll just survive it. But his spells are so good because they're, they're so aggressive. You can do so many things with them. You, you find, I don't know about you, Andreas, but I don't find that I really run out of will with him. I usually have enough. As long as I'm not too silly and throwing like four or five dice at spells, I usually have plenty of will to last the whole game. To be, to be honest, I think the whole idea of the army bonus is to mitigate um, any any sort of fear of running out of will. I mean, he's already got 25 to begin with, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that is the highest amount a model can have in the games um, as of now. But really with the army bonus, you're looking, effectively he's got approximately 35 to maximum 50 will. And I, I think that is a real kicker. You're not going to have any problems getting through a game with essentially 30 plus will. Yeah, but you also want to target like you. You feel like you got to time it as well, so you get down to a few will at the end of the game. That's the, that's the dream. I always try to aim for that, and I feel like I've done a really good job if I've got down to like two or three will at the end of the game because I've used lots and lots of abilities. But you, you that's don't, it. You don't want to go too fast. You got to be. You got to time it. Well, that, that's the thing. Like once you get down to, I would probably say seven or, or probably a touch lower on will, you start really pushing him into combat because you know you're just going to execute that one will a turn. But suddenly you've got to fight seven hero that'll kill things in one wound. I mean, it's it's pretty hard not to put him into combat when you realise you're probably not going to get too many too many more spells left in the game. Yep. And now I also like I love getting him in. If I ever see things like um, bats or uh, there's a few different kinds of bats now, multiple wounds or spiders or any multiple wound model, half trolls, anything like that. He loves going into combat with them because he can take him down in one go. So I like using that that drain soul as much as possible because it's it's really fun to use. It's hard to pull off at times because people know it's coming. Like they'll avoid it with their trolls and their monsters and that sort of stuff. But you do have enough spells to draw them out. So you can definitely... Well, that's it. And, and the, the spells that he does have as well, um, it really forces your opponent to play to your tempo. If you're, if you're playing too slow, well, you're going to have more than one chill soul coming your way. If you're playing too fast, I mean, you can chuck an instill fear if there's too much of a crowd going on or even transfix a vital hero um, right before, you know, you have a striking model, go, go up against it and kill it in one lucky round of combat. True. Very true. Very true. The only thing I would make note of here, now we talked about it just briefly, is that the range of his spells is only 12 inches. I say only, it means that there's other spell casters in the game, looking at you, Saruman, who have better range. So you're actually playing a pretty close game with this army. So you, you've got to design your army accordingly. You don't want to be standing back at 
at that you know that 12 to 24 inch range because he won't be operating as effectively as you like sometimes you don't mind him right in the front of your army on his own but you, you've got to get within that 12 inch range which is usually one or two moves away from the enemy as well so you've got to be careful they can come at you very quickly that's it that's spot on i mean he's either there as a deterrent or or he's, he's forcing your opponent to come to you yeah so we'll definitely talk about the necromancer because the necromancer pretty much is this army and everything he's here to support him in one way or another but we've got we're moving on now to the Nazgul of Dolgaldor. Now, there is a lot of these. There is seven different profiles for them, and there's some you can take as doubles, but they all have a similar profile. So I'll go through the profile, and then we'll just alternate through which ones we go through and have a little talk about each of them individually. So for all the Nazgul of Dolgaldor, all nine of them, they cost 75 points. They're spirit ringwraiths from Dolgaldor, infantry, and they are heroes of valor, which is good for alliance rules if you want to go for like yellow alliances and bring in some stuff from this army list. So the hero of valor is always nice to have around. 75 points is pretty affordable for a hero. They have a movement of 6, a fight value of 5, which is pretty good base fight value, strength of 4, defense of 6, which is a bit lower than most people expect, uh, 2 attacks, 1 wound, courage 6, courage 6 is really good, and 2 might, 1 will, and zero fate. They do something very, very different with their fates. So we'll get into that very quickly. They do have heroic strike in the errata now, which is really good because they don't have it in the actual printed book. It was forgotten or some other reason. They've all got harbinger of evil, so they all get that neg one courage. It doesn't stack with the others, but it basically means that their terror, which is their other special rule, will be useful. Um, you can only have nine of them. They have the combination of them. A hero wearing the ring is not invisible to these models, which is nice as well. They are servants of evil. So you can only take one of each option except for two of them, the Abyssal Knights and Slayer of Men. And their special rule, the one that I want to go into, is their Unholy Resurrection. This basically makes them. They're a very unique model in this way. So if this model is slain, you place a marker where they're removed from the board. In the next priority phase, the next priority phase, so the next turn, after priority has been rolled, you roll a d6. On a 3+, it regains a wound, so it goes back to one wound. And it's placed within six inches of the marker, so long as it is not placed in base contact with an enemy model. So you can place it within someone's control zone, but not in base contact, which is interesting. So you have to have slightly more than a base size. Any might or will points that were spent remain spent, so you keep the same might, will, fate, which is good. And while the marker's in play, the Nazgul counts as on the board for the purpose of working out whether your force is broken or reduced to 25%. So that's interesting. Whilst the marker is in play, that they cannot hold objectives and still will count as slain for the purposes of any special rule that require a model to be slain, such as a heroic combat. So that creates some very interesting things as well. If the role is a 1 or a 2, then the Nazgul has been banished. Remove the marker and the Nazgul from play. Wounds caused by magical powers or elven-made weapons, which are pretty common, inflict a neg one penalty on the resurrection roll. And if, when the game ends, a marker is in play and the corresponding Nazgul is not on the board, that Nazgul will count as being slain for the purposes of victory conditions. And that's the real kicker, because that's, that's a bit scary. Remember about the Necromancer rule, you can get a 1+. So if the Necromancer's on there and you don't get killed by an elven weapon or a spell, you're coming back on a 2+, and you can use Might on that as well. So it's very easy to reappear with these guys. Oh, I thought it was a four plus originally. No, that's fantastic, actually. Oh, it is. It is. So Ooh, that's a that's a big game changer. I don't think you can use might for that role from from the sounding of the wording because it's not really a test of some kind. Wasn't it FAQ that you could though? This is 
covered in the the designer's notes for the Hobbit book that you can use might on this roll as well. So if you have might left over, so you start off two for all of them. Uh, there is an exception to that very soon. You can use that might. So if you roll a two and you've got some might left over, it's probably in your best interest to use that unless you have some really, really sneaky reason not to, which means they're very, very survivable. So these guys are are very interesting models in that they've got a good amount of hitting power, but they've got excellent defense and surprisingly good mobility because when they're slain, they can be moved, placed within six inches of that marker so they can get basically an extra movement. So when they die, they actually get faster, which my opponents have learnt, unfortunately. But that's a good one. Uh, Kylie, do you want to take the first of the special rules? Sure. So the first uh, kind of specialized ring wraith we have is uh, the Wish King of Angmar. Of course, he is the leader of the Nime. He has armor and a sword. His special rules are Angmar Arisen. So he has three might points instead of two, which is always very handy. I think if you have the option to get extra might, I think he's your first pick, hands down, without question. He's always my first pick. What about you, Andreas? Coming from someone who likes to play thematically usually, he'd just about always be my first pick, unless I'm looking for a very, very specific strategy that I'm playing. Yeah, no, he, he's just, like, three might's just so good, so good. Because you can use it for all kinds of things. You can use it for your moves, you can use it for your strikes, you can use it for your unholy resurrection, you can use it just to well, kill. It's great. Well, that, that's it. I mean, even if you use the other two might and you just save the one might, it's almost one guaranteed resurrection you're getting back on the board. As I've said, like, many, many, many times in this podcast, might is your ability to make proactive moves in a game and allows you to be flexible. So having more might allows you to be more flexible and more proactive if you need to be. I mean, in, in my opinion, like, the f- first thing that comes to mind for me, just having the extra might, is having one might left on the board late game when your opponent either has one or none or very similar amount, it, it forces them to make decisions that, that may not be in their best interest because they're afraid you may counteract with that might. So mm. I think having that extra might, it's not just, you know, five or ten points worth of extra extra stat on a model. I think it really, really changes the way your, your opponent approaches that area of the battlefield as well. Yeah, it's, that end game might is worth so much more than the start game might as well. So, absolutely, that that's very true. Uh, I want to say one more thing about the Witch King is that he's got a sword as his weapon, which comes uh, is important later on. So it's just a sword, which means he can faint with it, which can be useful at times if you've already got the fight value in there. But it's it's no negative to him. That's all good. Andreas, next one. Beautiful. So next one we have up is Kamal the Eastling. His war gear is armor and two-handed mace. Interesting, two-handed. He is not burly, so you will be suffering yeah. the minus one continually in the fight, which is a bit, bit of a bit of an interesting one for this model. His special rule, Runish Fury. So Kamal the Eastling has three attacks instead of two, which in a way I suppose makes up for um for the lack of uh or I guess getting that minus one in combat. Uh, and plus one to wound, but I have mixed feelings. I I, I really would have hoped that Kamal the Eastling, the the one other named Ringwraith, would have Burly. Perhaps I think it may be asking for a bit too much, but he's surprisingly got a, a huge amount of killing power. Three attacks with the plus one the wound. I, as long as you've got a banner nearby and you're keeping that one might in reserve, I think you can do some serious damage with him. If you really need a killer, he's decent, but just that that two-handed without the the penalty is such a such a difficult one because he does does lose a lot of combats. Uh, it does mean that he's he's going to die and things are going to die around him quicker. So that's not necessarily a bad thing because uh, sometimes people go and, and try not to kill these guys. So if you're going to be super aggressive and put the pressure on with the kills, that's not a bad thing. He's, he's definitely a better killer than the other ones. But in terms of winning the combat, I'm not convinced that one extra attack is that good. I think there's some better special rules around. He's 
honestly, he's probably the one of the last ones that I, I take if I get a choice. He's he's useful, but he's not great. The math doesn't help him like any in any way, shape, or form in terms of his ability to win combats. So you're looking at the extra attack giving you roughly around an eight percent increase to his odds to win a combat. But the two-handed make gives him a minus sixteen percent chance to win the combat. So it's kind of like one of those like you're damned either way kind of deals. And I agree with you as well, Jeremy. If you want a coup de grace, someone to land a finishing blow on another model, he's a good tag team friend. You know, he goes in and gets the wounds in, but he needs someone else to help him win the combats. Mm, just yeah, just adding to. I think this is the one ring I think we'll go through the others, but I think this is the one ring race in the whole list that actually can can only act as a support or with support, essentially. I, I feel like he's the one Nazgul that can't just go out by himself and expect to pull off Wanders. You're either going to kill a lot or you're going to lose a lot of combats. Yeah, he's your, he's your second guy that, that if you have a Nazgul that's going to go do heroic combats, you bring this guy along just to make sure you get the kills. But He's your best part, 100%, but just not by himself. No, no, definitely not on his own. Uh, the next one is a Dark Headsman, which has armor of an, and an axe, so a single-handed axe this time. He's an executioner, so if he scores a natural six when rolling to wound, then the strike causes not one wound but D3 wounds instead, which is quite useful, especially if you're going against uh, multi-wound things as well, monsters and, and even heroes. He can take down a hero in one go, which is really nice. I like this model because I actually think it's my favorite designed one. It's the one that I like the most from the actual model. He's just got such an imposing oh. pose and his armor looks really cool. So that helmet is fantastic. Yeah, I just I think I think I'm very biased in this guy. I think he's quite useful, but like if he's fighting troops there's no bonus whatsoever. If he's fighting multiple wound guys, that's pretty cool, but he just looks really good as well. And an axe is a handy weapon as well because you maintain your fight value if you want to do something and, and up yourself to strength 5. Interestingly enough, I think he's um he's probably got more damage output than Kamul does overall. Um especially when you're coming up against heroes and monsters, but I, I just think I just can't get around the bad math. And when you look at the Dark Headsman, you're getting, you're getting just as much killing power when you take, in, take into account the chances you roll on a six, especially the might behind it. Oh, it's natural six. Natural oh, six, yeah. So it's not quite ooh. now. But you're still this throwing when, two dice. This is when traps, traps win games. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mind him. Uh, I wouldn't. He, obviously, he's not going to be your first choice. But I think uh, when you're running them as like a full set of nine, or you're running uh, a lots, uh, quite a few of them in, in your force. They can be he can be quite sneaky, uh, just to knock off fate points uh, for the necromancer and, and crew to be able to get in, get the insta kills in. Because uh, if you're not paying attention to where the models that can really easily get through your fate, or the models that can take off your fate, kind of really easily, they can catch you off guard. And I think I think that's where he's kind of utility lies is that uh, if your opponent's not paying attention to where which Nazgul is where, uh, he could give your opponents a nasty surprise. I think he benefits from actually not dying, dying, but but dying early on in the game and repositioning to somewhere where there's a multi-wound model and, and going for gold, essentially, because he doesn't suffer that, that minus one to win the fight like Kamal. So I think if you can almost feign him in, hope he disappears and re- reappears a turn later, you know, right where there may be I don't know, Gandalf in the back or, or something that has a lot of fate or, or wounds, you're, you're really going for gold there. This is where he's got an advantage in that he's got the axe, so he can actually lower his defense, whereas the others can't do that. So this is really useful that, that you can get him killed early on. Some of the others become 
Like even the defense six stops them from dying a bit. But if you want them to die, this guy's not too bad because you go in with the axe, you go in at something with an odd number defense, and he's either killing it or he's dying, which is good both ways. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, yeah, I think as long as you're not resource dry and he's got at least one might behind him, dying is not a bad thing. No, it's not. For these guys, totally, it's not a bad thing. We'll go into not, that. Not in case. general for these guys, no. definitely. No, they, they want to die. That's 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 fair enough. Uh, Kylie, Forsaken. All right, the Forsaken. So he has an has armor and a trident spear. So straight up, trident spear uh, is a spear, as you would think, but it also... Yeah means the Forsaken must re-roll his failed to wound roll. So he kind of has pseudo-poison on his uh, on his spear there. It's, I think, quite handy. I think you should have a quick think about uh, which ring ranks you want to want to take because re-rolls to wound are absolutely amazing, and I can attest to this from running hash runs out the wazoo. Uh, uh. Being, able to ha- being able to have a re-roll is always, always useful, especially when you're getting against high defense models. Being able to get multiple attempts at trying to get the wounds in is very handy. And the flexibility of being able to spear support when not many of the others have spears can also be very, very useful. The Forsaken, along with the Slayer of Men, which we'll get into in a moment, I think these are my two favorite horde killers. Mm. Um, you, you're definitely you're definitely getting a better chance, obviously, of killing those high defense dwarves coming through, or, or you know, even your stock standard ministerial warrior. He does seem a little underwhelming for me personally. I think it's possibly because at the end of the day, it's just a spear; it's not even an elven made spear. Yeah, but but rerolling to wounds, it, it reminds me of the betrayer a little bit, but less versatile. Yeah, look, the the rerolls are good. The rerolls are quite good because most of the time you're going to be like a five plus or even a six plus to wound. So getting the rerolls really does help. It means that you're much more likely to do that. He's definitely a really good combat guy. If you want your guy to kill everything, especially troops, he's is a really good option. So he's he's definitely an option. Uh, I haven't had a huge amount of luck with him, which doesn't make sense from the numbers, but that's I know that that's just something that that has been a bit of a quirk because he's, he's definitely a good choice. And if you want to play that role, you don't want to do anything else sneaky. You just want to get him to combat with basic troops and do some damage. He's your go-to. He can definitely do for heroes as well. Rerolling's good to, for everyone. He's very versatile. He's he's probably not a bad buy at any time. I think he's mathematically and strategically the sound option for most of these ring race. Mm. But I, I think it's all something that's easily overlooked is he because he has the spear, he doesn't always have to be in range of, of getting into combat. As long as he's touching something, I, th- I think he, you can actually get some sneaky maneuvers off him. Thinking, okay, look, I can someone someone say someone sets up their models. They've only got x so many models within range of a Nazgul. Suddenly, you've got another Nazgul coming up behind. And if if you've got Kamal the Sling, I think he actually complements Kamal quite well. Popping up behind with a spear if you can't get into combat definitely offsets the minus one. Yeah, he's a good target for heroic combats as well because you know that with that spear, you can you can go and like fix up some of those uh, fights that don't have the higher fight value and surprise people so it doesn't look like you can get in and you just go in with your spear, you count his fight value instead of the guy in front of you and it can really help out that way. So the spear is a good weapon from that sense, yes. He's flexible and that's what I kind of like about him. Yeah, no, He's he... flexible but like he just seems a bit underwhelming. I think it's maybe I've just got high standards <laughs> and high expectations when it comes to all of the Nazgul. But overall, he's definitely probably the one of the most sound options in this list. Yeah, look, if you're going to take a Nazgul, he's not a bad second option after the Witch King, essentially. Like, he, he, he'll do his job. Uh, he, like, I don't think any of them are, are overwhelming, to be honest. I think it's how you play them that, that does that. I think they can be, they can be very underwhelming models as well, and that's, that's all of them. 
Uh, so... No, I, I disagree. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> We're about you're about to get to my my favorite choice. Oh, okay. Well, Same. you go go for it. Same. <laughs> uh, Kylie, would you like to take this one? I heard passion in your voice. Ah. Uh... I, I can't resist not to. So next we have the lingering shadow, the best oh. thing since sliced bread. Uh, oh so the lingering shadow has armor and sword, but he also his special rule is unnatural speed. And this rule is is my favorite. This is this is this is where Lord of the Rings as a rule system shines because this special rule, oh, it's so sweet. So after priority has been rolled. The controlling player may remove the lingering shadow from the board and place him anywhere within three inches of his original position. Note the lingering shadow may not be placed in base contact with an, with an enemy model. And then there's a full stop. The last part of his rule is also this does not count as moving, which means oh, you can do this little three-inch blink and then another six-inch dash with you in the move phase, or more importantly, getting killed jump six inches, the next turn dash three inches with his special rule, and then move another six inches, being able to displace 15 inches over a turn, a single turn, is absolutely mind-boggling fast. So... I agree 100%. We're all going to be... This is a bit boring. We're all going to say this. Um, this is definitely my number two. So if, I, if I'm if i taking Nazgul, I take the Witch King first because I can't go past the Might, but I always take this guy second because that, that three-inch place is so, so good. Your banner's not safe with this guy around. Your lines are not stopping me. I'm going to run through. I'm going to break through. I'm going to grab objectives. You can't pin me down. You can't do that sneaky thing where you're just going to shield against my Nazgul for the whole game and pin them in place. I'm going to get out of there and I'm going to control it. So he he's just so... so yeah, you're right. He's so useful, and when I said they were underwhelming, he's still not going to kill very often. Like compared, like as the others, his his killing power for a hero for seventy five points is not as 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 killy as something else. But his tactical flexibility is huge. I, I, look, I I'd have to disagree. I, I think he's probably the most overwhelming, and, and simply because your opponent has no idea where he will be come next turn. And I don't, I'm not sure if, obviously, you play Kylie a fair few times, but that is the thing I fear most <laughs> when I play against someone like Kylie is where will that model end up? And I think this guy just takes this next level. I think my favorite, absolute favorite thing about that rule is it ignores every single bit of terrain ruling. He can uh, go yeah. through walls. He can end up in opposite end of a forest. <laughs> I mean, it ignores water as well. It doesn't count as moving, so there's no swim test. And it's, it's fantastic, I think. Well, let me put it this way, like to, to kind of show off how like overpowering this festival can be. It took uh, this is at our, the most recent tournament we played in up in Brisbane. It took two of my Hasherin to shut this guy down for good. <laughs> like to, to to have to divert basically two models that are worth exactly the same kind of amount of points as this guy just to keep him under lock, to keep him away from, you know, my Dalamir and stuff like that should kind of show just how powerful this guy can be. Like, my opponent was doing all these funky cool things where he would blink up on top of a building, force one of my Hasherans to run up after him, then blink down and try and get away, meaning I have to use my other Hasheran to go call him off. And just when I think I had him he and, and killed him, he disappears and reappears on another building that's another six inches away. So he can be very, very slippery, and it can oh. usually, quite often, to actually pin him down and keep him contained is going to require you to divert more resources than you would otherwise have. Or I mean, how much he's worth. <laughs> two, two things for, for him for me that really stand out is a 
he may not have the the most amount of damage output in this list, but he is downright probably one of the better banner killers in game. Um, just because you, he, he kind of inundates it and he really null and voids the whole I can hide my banner behind my my whole battle line and I should be fine. No, you have to have a whole three inches of battle line between him and the next available spot in order to 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 nullify him essentially. But I think also something that really really works out well and probably something people don't really look too much into Shroud of Shadows in combination with the Lingering Shadow. Yeah, that's true. You pop, you pop him behind enemy lines and you chuck up a Shroud of Shadows with the Necromancer and suddenly he's not getting charged. Yeah, and he also... What, so it's um, Shroud of Shadows, the first thing he gets the ring effect, so he's they have to take the terror Whoa. test. No, no, no that, that, that's the um, channel version. So ah. for, I, I know we, we don't... We don't condemn spoilers here, so I'll just have a quick um, squiz through Shadow of Shadows. So it targets a friendly model within range. The target is considered to be invisible until the end phase. They cannot be targeted by enemy models' magical powers, special rules, or shooting attacks, and they do not count as in the way. They have no control zone while invisible, and enemy models may even move through them. An enemy model may not end end its movement on the space the target is taken up. Uh, additionally, if an enemy wishes to charge the target, it may it must pass a courage test, applying a penalty of minus one for every full inch that the target is away from the foe. And obviously, if you go over the channeled version, you just um, halve in the fight value of everyone in base contact for the duration of duels. Oh yeah, so the first one is the, the basically the the terror effect of the ring, and then the second one Correct. is in addition the the half year your fight value one, which both of those are really useful. So that that's. Yeah, that that's really really good, and and you've got and the you can't remove him with magic either, especially once it's yeah. invisible. Yeah, that's good as well because the, these guys they've got a big target on the head when magic's around. They people love to throw a fireball at them if they can because even just a banish banish is, is a lot more common now. You got it on yeah. Gladwell and, and Gandalf more commonly, who you see more often. Um, a banish will take out someone like someone like uh, any of these ring, ring race quite easily. So mm. I think just having that ability to avoid magic for a whole turn really takes it to a next level of unavoidable. Yeah. What I like about him as well, and look, we're all gushing about this guy, is that he gives you things to do because sometimes this army gets pinned and there's not a lot you can do when that happens. This guy is always able to to move around, and, and that's, that's a huge advantage because there's been times when I've played essentially all the Nazgul, and he's the only one that's been able to do what he wants to do. Him and, and the guys that will come next, which I'll talk about in just a moment, and that's that's so, so, so useful. So I agree. I think we all agree. This guy's got so many options. I think we all play him a bit differently, but the fact that Kylie has to divert two Hasharans to deal with him, I think is a pretty good indication that, that take this guy if you get the opportunity to. I think it just makes people think. Like, it makes your opponent think first and foremostly, but it makes you think of what, what possibilities you have when you do play him. I mean, I don't think we've actually fully explored what he could do on the battlefield, but nowhere in that rule does it say you can't move him off the board in scenarios that dictate otherwise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's great at, at any of those breakthrough ones. He's great at going, like, I love him for hunting down War Machine crew. So I've done him for, for that sort of job where he just runs in and just gets into contact with them and annoys them. Oh, he's really good. I also like the next ones. These are the Abyssal Knights. These ones, I think, get a bit of a bad rap uh, because they they have um, like concerning concerning rules that they are very hard to to get going more than once. They've got armor and Elven Maid Sword. Elven Maid Sword is really important here. So they with their fight oh, five. 
they can they can help out uh, against elves and help mitigate the issue. They also means that whenever they go against fight five, which is a lot of guys, quite frankly, they potentially get an advantage. So that's really good. Spiritual displacement means that you can take two of them. You have to take two of them for this to work, and that's probably why people don't like it. But in the priority phase, after priority has been rolled for, the controlling player can choose to remove one of the Abyssal Knights from the board and place him immediately in base contact with the other one, so long as it is not also placed in base contact with an enemy model. So that's the case of all of them. You can't ever place him in base contact with an enemy model, but this does not count as moving. So this is essentially... Potentially a one-shot. You can definitely do it more often than not if you're clever about it. But it's that you deploy these guys on the flanks on either side and the enemy doesn't know which where they're going to be. So that that's huge, I think, for for an army that, that is not the fastest army in the world. To be able to, to have someone chase down an Abyssal Knight and then just disappear entirely is really, really useful. I once made a whole uh, Dwarf Warband chase my Abyssal Knight and jump into some, some difficult terrain and then I just jumped away and it was quite quite amusing because I had them both being chased so so one Dwarf Warband took on two Abyssal Knights and the other took on none and just was in no man's land for the game so I really do like these guys I think a couple of interesting ones for this this rule in particular I think first and foremost it, it's a really good support Nazgul a bit like Kamal I think if you have it in conjunction with another, another Nazgul and you're fighting a heroic combat against you know Gilgalad who has an elven made weapon I, I think it just gives you that that little bit more of an edge in that combat to see if you can hope and win. But also, I think one of the great things, and people probably haven't thought about too much, late game, I think these guys are fantastic. Mm. Reason being, you've got the scenario where, say, you've got one Abyssal Knight fighting to try and break your opponent, another Abyssal Knight holding down an objective. The second you have one or two models at that objective, suddenly it's contested or it's taken last turn, if you know it's going to be last turn or somewhere nearby, you can essentially just pop in and say, hey, you know what, I think I'll even the odds, I'm going to take that objective. Suddenly you've got one more point than your opponent, or you've just got more hitting power at that objective. I think it's a really good objective-based um, special rule. They're also really good for that, that like, if you want to run somewhere, they, these guys are surprisingly fast, because if one of them dies, you can then do the, 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 the priority placement and then just keep jumping them off each other as they go, which is really useful because sometimes your Nazgul get, get bogged down and these guys, as long as one of them's doing the dying, you can keep moving really far. You could set up in different spots and, and your enemy, you tell them about the start of the game, but they often forget about it. So it's a big surprise when they chase down this one Nazgul because they, they can't tell the difference between them. They chase mm. down this one that you, you set at the start of the game and suddenly you just say, oh, I'm just going to remove it over here and, and you move it. A huge amount because there's no range on this either which is really good so you can jump 12 inches you can jump a whole board you can jump to a corner um, if you're doing like a reconnoiter you can get one of them all the way ready to go and then jump his friends over uh, like a, st- a storm the camp suddenly you have two nazgul in the camp you can do some kind of interesting things with them so I-, I really like them and i like them for the same reason that i like the lingering shadows it gives you more choices and more options for movement which i think is really important a lot of my kind of experience with with these two hasn't been all that uh, impressive, I, I guess you could say, simply because I've been I've been able to manage their their movement a bit better. You know, using fast moving troops, forcing them to pop their special rolls to 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 disappear, and then using my fast moving troops to redeploying. You know, get in better positions. But I have seen you, Jeremy, using quite 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 well, and a couple of other players um, from our community use it, using them very very well, and. They're a tricky, they're a tricky kind of um, unit to to play, um, but I think that's what's really good about them is because you have to really think and really set up their displacement move uh, during the game. You can't just—it's not like you know the Dark Headsman or the Lingering Shadow or 
or any of the other ring race really that they go here's our bonus go nuts this is one where you actually have to put forward planning and think about what you're going to do and i think the fact that you have to do that with this kind of model is really 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 good especially for the game i think um i agree kylie i think but one thing you also have to consider and doesn't really pop into your head too often is yes when you disappear and reappear next to your body you're gaining the element of surprise but at the same time you've actually got to consider you've actually lost ground somewhere else and i think you have to weigh up really what's worth giving up whether or not you're playing you know tees and pulling away um heroes or troops towards one abyssal knight and then disappearing or whether you're actually trying to take multiple objectives and suddenly you've got to make that choice do i have to give up one to definitely get the other or do I try and keep both, mm. essentially? So I think it, it can actually be a difficult choice to make. So it's not always it's not always a must-use in-game. Yes, that's true. And sometimes a threat can be better than actually using the ability. I think this would be one of those, one of the Nazgul rules where I wouldn't explicitly use it for the sake of using it. I'll keep it in there as an ace in the hold and, and probably actually trying to avoid using unless I know it's going to give me a distinct advantage straight away. It's it's a hold off and hold off and hold off because, like, like Kylie said, just the fact that you've got the ability to keeps the opponent guessing. And sometimes I'll, I'll do that, just remind them that I can do it. Just say, just remember here, these two are the Abyssal Knights and just point them out just to get the enemy thinking about them. Because you're right, it, it's, it's a big choice. And when you do it, so initially you can't reverse it because you jump over there, they're both together. You've got to find a way to separate them again to use this ability again. So it's... Sometimes it's a one-use only. I think in the all-Nazgul army, it's it's phenomenal ability. In other armies, you might get not as much use out of it, I, th- I think. We've got the Slayer of Men, the bread and butter, as I like to put it. He is equipped with armor and a two-handed mace. Now, you may include two of the Slayers of Men. Mm. Additionally, a Slayer of Men never suffers the minus one penalty for wielding a two-handed weapon, which is everything I hoped Kamul would have. <laughs> Oh, they, these guys are the Kamul, aren't they? They're, they're, they're just such reliable hitters. They're the one set of these guys that I just trust to actually be doing kills. The other ones I don't trust yeah. to be doing the kills. Like, it's almost lucky if it comes off. These guys just just kill, just kill, just kill. They're, they're so useful. For, for me, these these guys very much make up the uh, Dwarf Bane for this army list. When you've got a lot of models that, that still struggle against that Defense 7 or 8, th- these guys definitely bridge that gap for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, yeah, to be wounding on fives instead of sixes is so good. So, yeah, when I'm playing a dwarf army, these are the only guys that do any killing at all. But the others just don't yeah. even bother. So these ones, are, they're just so easy to use. You, you throw them straight forward. They kill, they kill. They've got the strike if they come against heroes. They've always got the one plus to wound, which is really nice because one plus to wound when you strength four is pretty handy. Uh, the mace ability, you know, sometimes that's useful, not a huge amount of times. But the fact you can take two of them as well is really useful because they can pair up together. They often just hang out as a pair. And they just run mm-hmm. straight forward and just just kill kill a guy a turn, kill a guy a turn. And when they die, they just reappear, often in the same spot with these guys. Other ones, I'm jumping around and being clever. These guys, I often just put them right back in the same spot because their job is to just hold a wall and just kill whatever comes at that wall. I think these guys make a make a nice little death ball, um, especially when they're supported. If you have a banner nearby, I think I think they perform remarkably well. They're probably the only nozzle you actually, like you just mentioned, you, you don't want to separate them. They're, they're really effective together when you can pull off potentially four kills, very probably per turn, depending on what you're facing. They're also, I think one of the main weaknesses I see for them is they're also the most predictable. You yes. know what's going to happen with them. If you can if you can bog them down in something that, that either ignores their plus one to wound or, or can easily beat them in a fight, I think that's where they suffer. Yeah, I often take the, like, 
I like these guys in my mixed arms, uh, Gundabad and Dolgaldor Wraith's armies. And they basically, they get a Gundabad spin behind each of them. They get the banner behind them and they're my spearhead. They just go forward and they don't care who they take on. Because if they die, they just you just bring them back, bring them back, bring them back. And it, like heroes don't really like taking them on because there's not a lot to be gained by and there's a lot to be lo- to lose because I'm more than happy to strike with one of them in tag team. So to go two of these into a hero, one of them striking is is usually enough to take down the hero. It's well worth having a go at that. So the, these are probably your good reliable hitters. The Forsaken's good with them as well if you do that. But I really like them because the army doesn't have a lot that likes uh, to take on defense seven. These guys definitely do. They don't really care about defense seven or eight. I think one of the good things about them as well is it forces your opponent to choose, do I expend resources sending in a hero to try and deal with them? And obviously, you know, they potentially just come back next turn, or do I ignore them? And and I think the the risk they run for ignoring them is they're probably going to chew through more more of your army than you actually think. Mm, agreed. Agreed. Kylie, have you taken on these ones? Uh, I have, and I've used them as well. And I, I particularly like them to uh, as a uh, bodyguard for... Other models in my army, so if, if you kind of need someone to sit in front of another one of your heroes, such as uh, the Necromancer, or or more importantly, say a, a model with an objective like the prize or something like that, they're really good at just kind of just being big and tough and going right. You come nearer the thing we want to protect, you're going to die for it, mm. and that's that's kind of what I, I've seen them predominantly used for is as a pseudo bodyguard troop, just to make people second guess whether they want to go hard in kind of like the direct line of sight at at the thing they're trying to get to, or do they try and find another way around, leaving them kind of as a as a, a free leash? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're good, reliable killers. And the fact you can take two of them is re- really good. So, look, most of them are, are pretty good. I feel like Kamul's the one that's a step down from the rest of them. Everyone else I think has got to be useful. Um, the headsmen I, I take because of the look of them, but I think the rest of them are pretty useful and, and fun to take. These these Nazgul are good fun to use. Should we move on? We should. We will definitely move yes. on. The next one I've yes. got on my list is the Castellan of Dorgaldor, who wants to be a Wraith. He really, really wants to be a Wraith, but his model's a little bit dated. And when I say a little bit dated, it looked dated when it came out by about 20 years. So <laughs> he's... Um, He's a really cheap spirit, so 40 points. Honestly, he's 45 points. He's a spirit, Dolgaldor, infantry hero. He's a minor hero, so he's only leading six friends, which is okay. That's all he needs. Uh, fight five, same as a wraith. Strength five, which is pretty handy. Uh, defense of six, same as a wraith. Attacks two, wounds one, same as a wraith. Courage of six. But his heroic stats are totally different. He's got zero might, 12 will, and zero fate. He's got an armor and a sword. He can buy a Morgul Blade for five points, which you buy, quite frankly, because you can take down someone in one go, once per, per turn, especially when you get the trap. Terror and Will of Evil. So the Will of Evil, same as the Necromancer, can use will points as fate points. So this guy's an incredible tank, basically doing what the Necromancer's doing. Defense six, which is a bit less than it used to be, but still really good for a tank. 12 will means he's not going to die in one turn unless it's something really, really crazy good. Unfortunately, no might does really hurt you a bit. And they cannot gain the, the, give their stand fast to nearby warrior models, which is a little bit sad considering their courage is so nice. So these guys are, are pure combat wraiths. Uh, I used to be really, really high on them. I used to really like them. And then I've started playing them. And, and I, I think the problem in, in a pure Dolgol Door list, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that you've got other things to do the tanking. You've got the Dolgol Door race, which can tank if they want. You've got the Necromancer yeah. to tank. These guys do it really well, but they always get bogged down in the place you don't want them. They, they don't have enough movement tricks. I, I 100% agree. Uh, um, I think this is definitely one of those cases where the, 
the rules writers look at the model and said, hey, look, we, we really like the look of the Castellan. We really like the, the idea behind him. What do we do with him? I mean, I mean, look, he's got strength five is really nice. I don't think it makes a lot of sense having higher strength than the nine Nazgul of Dol Guldur. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think he excels very much at being a tank, but for me, that's it. Like he, he will, he's a very much standalone troop. In fact, I probably would have classified him as an independent hero for all intents and purposes, given his rules. He can't share any of his stand fast with other, other warrior models. Um, he can't ally by himself anymore. No. He's a minor hero. So if you're, yeah, if you're popping into another force, you need to take at least a fortitude if it's, uh, I think it's green allies only. He's just, he's just very underwhelming and, and I'm not sure what to make of him. I mean, the Morgul Blade is nice. Yeah, but oh, it's really good. It's 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 yeah. scary, but I used to take him as a as a cheap ally with some spiders for my other like tried of list. Like... Because he's cheap, he's the cheapest hero of the list that can that can take anything with him that has damage output. But now, but, um, yeah, he can't because minor. Yeah, so he's got to, he's got to take a captain to to lead him or a a keeper of the dungeons or someone else like that. So he becomes more expensive in that role. He's um in like a maelstrom of battle. He's he's a real liability because you've got no might to to get him where you need to be. Um, he can't go into miners. Just yeah, independent would have almost been nicer because independent you could have yeah, thrown yeah. him down next to a necromancer, guaranteed, and you've got a use for him then as a as a tag team with a necromancer, which is fine. That that's pretty handy to have some extra attacks for his combats. But well, with the with the Morgul blade, he, he, the problem is he's got no might behind the Morgul blade. He's mm. he's essentially by definition a support a support hero. He would fit in perfectly with the Necromancer, perfectly with the Nazgul, even even the Keeper of the Dungeons or any other Captain-style model. But by himself, he's just there's too many roles he can try and fulfil but fails to fulfil most of them, especially when you consider, I think in the old edition he was Defence 7, correct me if I'm wrong? That's correct. And and now he's kind of been debuffed down to a 6, which kind of puts him in line with the other Nazgul. But by that token, why not make him Strength 4 if that was the case? He kind of fails at being a tank as long as he is defense six as well. I have too many mixed feelings about him. I'm not sure what to make of him. I used to want to take him a lot, and I did. And I and I, I took him to CanCon earlier this year, and he performed mediocrely. Like, good in some games, terrible in others. Overall, average. I took him uh, to Ardor Unleashed, and it was a mistake. I should have dropped him. I should have taken a Gundabad captain for similar points. And and the two points of might, the march would have been so much well, more useful. Carly, hmm. I'm 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 actually really surprised because I absolutely love these guys. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I <laughs> I I really 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 like them. Um, I knew you were too quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. I'll admit, I was I was waiting for my opportunity to go yeah, in. Just um, brooding. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've kind of always liked them since their kind of inception ago. I, I do agree that I wish they were still independent heroes rather than minor heroes, but I think taking them leading other warbands is not what you do. I think you take them as pseudo-independents. You take them by themselves. I actually don't think them being separated from the bulk of your army is actually that much of a detriment because if your opponent is stupid enough to divert resources into killing them, they just sit there and tank with their 12 fate points. What, like, yeah. what what I love love about them though is the Morgul Blade and the kind of the rule of three that I love to talk about so 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 very much on this podcast. I think taking three of these guys as a bodyguard team for uh the, the Necromancer 
is a really, really fun way of using them. Using them. Because funny. they have... Sorry, sorry. No, sorry. Fun, funny you mentioned that. I think it's... Um, I'll let you continue in just a sec. But I think it's the kind of hero that exponentially gets better in groups. Yeah. So one of the things that you can kind of do with them is if you compel a model for... Like, you, you create a gap in your, your line. You compel a hero on horse or something. Through that gap, you then close the gap with the rest of your troops, and then you start wailing on... Uh, the guy with uh, the three Castellans and the Necromancer. And because you have the Morgul Blade, they're very, very good at just insta-gibbing um, any heroes or big scary things that come through that gap. The other thing that I absolutely love them for is resisting spells, the AoE spells, particularly Nature's Wrath. Uh, can, uh, they're very, very good at just getting into those really annoying spots and going, right, we're 12 points of will, don't cast any spells around us because it's not going to go off. And being able to have that that kind of presence to be able to block those spells is very, very important, especially if you're running, you know, things like Hunter Rocks, being able to block a Wrath of Bruden is is very, very good for your defensible models. But even if your opponent is charging your line's heads up, being able to block any sort of AoE is, is, is critical because you don't get many models when you're running... Um, the Dogledore army list. The other thing I love them uh, for as well is because they're 5-5 five, five, strength 5, they're very good at snow plowing enemy uh, infantry lines. So if you're playing uh, kind of front to back, shield wall to shield wall, they're very good at mincing their way through the shield wall because your opponent doesn't want to put heroes next to them because you've got a big scary necromancer behind you throwing all sorts of fun spells and they have a Morgul Blade, which means, again, heroes are going to be kind of scared. And if you run them kind of shoulder to shoulder, and run them straight through the middle, they'll even, they'll nine times out of ten, will crack through, eventually over some turns, crack through some of those higher annoying defense armies like dwarves, uh, Minister of Shieldwall, or uh, on the outside chance you come up against something like uh, Arnor or High Elf Rhymes. They, they can out-attrition them. And that's kind of what I like about them. I think the fact that, you can take them as pseudo-independence is, again, another really handy thing because if you have to have lots of warband drops, it's very useful being, to be able to out-position your opponent uh, in certain games. And that's why I'm a big fan of taking lots of heroes in lists because you can, as by themselves, because you can use those drops to see where your opponent's army is and then deploy accordingly. Yeah, look, I see the uses there. I, mm. The area of effect, I think, is not as useful now that the, the big one got reduced to three because it can it's almost pinpoint now, so they can avoid it a lot better. I agree that that used to be the main role I took it, and when it was like all about elves and all about Elrond, these guys were an auto-take because that 12 will meant that you can resist that spell for a turn or two, especially the Hunter Orcs, which hated it. But even then now, there's so many other good heroes in this list and the friends that... Um, I Yeah, if I take them, I think, I think I might do what you say, Kylie. If I take them in the future... I'm designing the list around them, and I'm having three or four of them as my frontline troops, and, and I'm considering them as warriors, quite frankly. They, they're just guys that will walk through, and they'll do the, the role that half-trolls do. They'll line up in the middle, and they'll just charge through the enemy, and I'll just try and maximize the amount of turns they spend in combat, because they... Yeah, one of them I find is just too easy to avoid, and I always wish I had some might to do a march or something like that, because the army's pretty slow overall, and having these guys take up your hero allocations can be a detriment at times. I was just um I was just doing some number crunching whilst you guys were talking just then just uh considering the idea of them having them as frontline troops uh, I was looking at a 750 list cuz it really wouldn't work in anything lower than 750 if you include 500 points of 
this will sound a bit bit absurd, but ten Castellans of Dol, Dol Guldur, and then ten <laughs> Gundabad Orc Warriors with Spear and Shield right behind. That's 500 points on the dot. Now, <laughs> chuck in a Necromancer, and suddenly it's 750. Yes, you have no banner, <laughs> but um, you have one hell of a battle line. Oh, that's a, that's yeah. Look, that's going to be annoying to play against. Um. <laughs> I think I think I don't think the issue will be playing against. I think the issue will be playing with it. Yeah, I think um, so. I th- it's just too slow, though. That's the problem. Is it that yes, you're going to grind through things, but yeah, it, it's it's. I feel like this army needs its might where you can, and I just yeah. I, I, I look. I think mm-hmm. absurdity aside, the reason people take the Castellan is because they want to take the Castellan. It it doesn't wow in too many factors. I think it's just one of those things you want to take because it's a cool model, it's got a cool premise, and I think you, it can, you can try and adapt to certain situations, although I find in most cases it probably won't excel at it. At the end of the day, it's something you include because you want to, not because you need to. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think if you want to. Would you agree with that, Kylie? If you want to take it, you definitely take it. If you don't, you take something else. Begrudgingly, I will uh, agree. <laughs> That's, That's the most. Praise. It's, it's the most lukewarm statement ever. You take it if you want to take it. So another model that you take if you want to take is the Keeper of Dungeons, which I think uh, has just had a new model released and around the world Ooh. in in some areas. Previewed, I think. Previewed. I think it was available in the event. I think some people actually have it. It looked pretty cool. Um, it's one of the last Perry sculpts, apparently. Which is is it? Is yeah. it slightly larger than you? The new sculpt? I don't it looks, know. It looks a bit I, larger to me. I think uh, the other one's pretty big, so I don't know if it is or not. But I, I'm kind of cool, like, excited about it because I do like this model—the old heavy metal bog that turned into the keeper of dungeons. Uh, so 75 points, which is perfect because you can swap them out for Wraith if you want to. I like that that points level in this army. You got a hero of fortitude, so if you want to add like a Stalins in, this guy's not a bad leader for them. He's an orc, first orc we've had so far. Dolgodor, infantry hero, movement of six. He's an orc. He doesn't have any way to up his movement. He's got a fight of five, which is very handy for an orc. Strength of five, which is very handy for an orc. Defense of six, <laughs> also very handy for an orc. Two attacks, two wounds, courage five. Two attacks, two wounds is okay. It's it's that hero level one. But his heroic stats are interesting. He's got three might, three will, but zero fate. So he's basically a bit aggressive with that. The three will is very, very handy because it means that spells aren't a huge issue for him. With a courage of five, he's not scared of things. but th- And three might is very useful, but... but no fate is always a bit of a risk. He's got armor, a sword, and a two-handed pick. So you get the two options there, which is quite mm. useful. Uh, the two-handed pick, it's not a single-handed pick. So if you want to do the the uh, up your strength to six, you've got to go two-handed, which you do sometimes because you're burly. So that that's a good one to do. Uh, you've got heroic strike, heroic strength, and heroic challenge. Honestly, the only one I look at there is heroic strike. He's one of the nice ones in that he's a fortitude challenger. So if you do find a useful challenge, which I've never done, but if you do find a useful challenge, he's fortitude, which is where you want to be. So you can challenge a whole bunch of things. Uh, he's a torturer. So every time he slays a model, you keep note of it. This is fun. Once he's mm. killed one model, he may reroll wounds of one. That's useful. That's in the army lists around the place. That's not too... Not, not something to write home about. Once he's killed three models, causes terror. That's fun to get to because once he causes terror, he really synergizes with the army really well. And then five, he gets to reroll all failed ru- wound rolls. This is amazing. Fail- all failed ru- wound rolls means he just kills things he's in combat with all the time. So this guy is my go-to bodyguard for the necromancer. He gets a one plus bonus to wound against a model that has one of the elven rings, Nenya, Naya, or Vilya. So that's really handy as well because you often find you're fighting against elves 
and the Elven Rings show up on occasion. So this is pretty useful. Who's got it? Elrond, uh, Gandalf, and what's the other one? And Galadriel. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, and those were, those are all models that scare you. So this is really good to have a guy that you can actually reliably like go into those those models and do some wounds to him. He he has no problem wounding things. Two attacks is a, a bit on the low side, but it's not terrible in the army list. Uh, I, I really, really like this guy. What do you think? I'm going to interject first because I have strong feelings <laughs> about the Keeper of the Dungeons. <laughs> I think, and hear me out, hear me out, I think he does not make sense, but I love that he doesn't. I think to have an orc that has three might and is a hero portrait, A, doesn't make sense. Fantastic. He also has, interestingly, Courage 5, which puts him on par with orcs like Gothmog. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I, I mean, thematically, obviously, it makes a little bit of sense. He he was in charge of, you know, keeping tabs on Gandalf while he was in prison, obviously other important characters that may have come to the door. But it just doesn't ring too well with the rest of the army. I think it maybe perhaps he has more courage because he's he's obviously more in touch with the rest of the army. He's always around the Nazgul if they're around. He's always around the Necromancer. He's stationed there. That's his domain. That makes sense to me. And I guess that's one way to justify his will. I think one of the great things is, and this may be an unpopular opinion, he is better than every single one of the Nazgul, except the except perhaps the, uh, the Lingering Shadow. I don't think that's unpopular. I, I think the fact that that he doesn't disappear is pretty handy. I think, I think there's there's some really good abilities there. The the, the burly he's hitting harder with it than them. So he's got the the burly pierce. So he's hitting at strength six if he wants to. He's hitting at strength five if you want to be a bit conservative, which is really good. He's got the three might. He gets the rerolls to wound as he starts killing, which is really useful. Uh, he doesn't start with the terror, so he can be picked off early on if you you're not careful. But also the one plus to wound against the the rings. I I do I I do agree with you in both counts. I think he's I would go from him most of the times over the Nazgul. I think he's a really cool model. I don't think he makes any sense. I felt like in the movies he was just a throw in because I had the costume ready to go. And I think we're trying to get a stat that that like this is a huge guy. This was the original like the big bad guy for the Hobbit movies. He looks really imposing. So you have to give him an imposing profile. But yeah, he's he's a guy that's just torturing. Like he's, he's just he's one that just kind of he sticks out as something that shouldn't be there, but we're all glad he is. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you consider that baseline stat for stat points are exactly the same as a Nazgul. Stats are very similar to a Nazgul, but he's got the extra strength. He's got the same fight. He's got the extra might, barring the the Witch King. Mm. And then on top of that, he's better at wounding instantly than most of the Nazgul, and he gets better as he wounds more. I, I think I think if you have seventy five points to spare and you had to choose between him and one of the Nazgul, you've probably already taken the Nazgul of your choice. I think he, he's a no brainer. I, I think you should even maybe substitute him for one or two of your Nazgul choices if you're taking a list higher than seven fifty. Mm, Kylie, what are your thoughts? You've been quiet on this one as well. Is it a dissenting opinion again? Ah, uh, pseudo. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kylie really wants to disagree, I, I like but she can't. Him. She wants to. <laughs> no, I like him, but I like him from a design point of view. I like what he brings to the table. I love his little snowball uh, torture rule. I think more models in the game need to have those kind of mechanics. I would also, just a quick little shout out, I, I kind of want to see a reverse mechanic of this where someone who gets kills starts to get penalties or something cool like that, who starts off like this crazy awesome baller and gets worse as the game goes on. But I would love to see that kind of a special rule. 
but I do love uh, his special rule that he gets stronger as he goes along. I think that is a really cool mechanic. It gives you almost like a, a little um, a mini uh, a mini quest to do during a game uh, to kind of like go, right, we need to, you know, I need, I need to get him up to Terra because I'm playing against orcs or goblins or whatever or, or, or Lake Town or something like that. I want the Terra active and, and you, you're going to have to work. He's also a bit fragile too, which I actually don't mind, especially mm. with the, the lockdown potential from the Necromancer. So you, you kind of got to like keep him behind the Necromancer so that he doesn't get sniped out by, you know, enemy archery or, or a bar that's rocking around or something like that. But all of these other kind of little quirks, he's three well, he's um, five, five with strike. They're really f- good, fun little mechanics that kind of work. In separate, yeah. yeah, in separation from the army list, and he complements the army list, but in a way you wouldn't expect him to complement the list. If that makes sense. Yeah, no. T- touching on that, I, th- I think there's one thing he falls into is that he both makes a great bodyguard for the necromancer, and at the same time doesn't. You want him to kill things and be out there and doing things, but also if he's near the necromancer and he's buffed up, I think he can handle. Essentially, anything short of a 150 point plus model coming his way towards Necromancer. So I think he kind of, in a way, fills in the gap that the Castellan could fill in better, but at the same time, he's more fragile. So yeah. it gives me mixed feelings about that. So, look, personally, if I were playing him, I'd want to play him uber aggressively, make sure he's not in range of any shooting, he's always in combat. But He's definitely one of the models, and I think this is probably overlooked. He cannot cop any hits from a siege weapon. Otherwise, that's it. It's game over for him. Very true. Yeah, no fate is is a real weakness. I, I like that because he feels like you're getting that offense to counteract that. that he, You can take him out pretty easily if you get onto him, but, but a good player can protect him. When I say a bodyguard for the ne- Necromancer, the way I play him is that he and the Necromancer, if the Necromancer's in combat, he's in the same combat, and the two of them take down whatever they're in combat with. Like They, they are a powerful punch together, so I do like him just, just basically fighting all the stuff that the Necromancer is, and the Necromancer occasionally walks in and, and helps him out if he needs to, if the fight five's not enough, but those two together with, with basically six points of might and a little ball and the ability to take down anything in the game, anything at all, is really, really handy because he hits so hard and the Necromancer hits so hard. So, yeah. Like, I, think, then, yeah. I think he's just a bit of a, he's a bit of a cheeky model. He's a bit like the forbidden one to put him in combat. Even though you shouldn't, you shouldn't really put him into too many combats. He couldn't win because of that zero fate. But you just want to. Yeah, you've got to be a little bit picky with him. Like, I don't always get up to, to five kills with him because I don't want to go into to rubbish combats. Like, if I, if I know I can take two wounds in a single combat, I might hold him back for a turn until he can get guarantee he's going to get into one where he doesn't die or for the big kill. Like, I'll happily throw him in if he's against a hero and I'm going to try and take them out. I'll take him out and if I lose him, I lose him. But I don't want to throw him into just a standard shield wall with two spearmen coming at me or whatever like that because... If you do lose it, your defense is not high enough that you can guarantee no. to stay alive, and it's it's a little bit risky. So, especially I mean, if I see strength four shield walls, I kind of kind of get a bit scared. Yeah, you look in strength four is also becoming more and more common. So it's it's hard to avoid the fact that he is quite soft in comparison to a lot of other orcs. Moving on to our next orc, we've got our hunter orc captain, which is a bit of an underrated model, I find. Uh, captain profiles, you, you often want one of them in there because they come with the, the magic heroic march. But for 45 points with this guy, you get fight four, strength four, defense five, which are all good stats for an orc. Two attacks, two attacks, 
Three wounds, courage three, two might, one will, one fate. Standard there, but you've got a special rule of many blades. So when you have the infantry keyword, so when, you, when you're off your warg or you don't take a warg, you get an extra attack. So three attacks is pretty decent on foot. It's one that I do like taking him on warg as well at times. So 10 points, you get a warg. You can give an orc bow for five points. Eh, I'm not so, it's not so keen on that one. A two-handed pick is actually a pretty good option for five points because if you're on foot with a two-handed pick, three attacks... That can be pretty nasty, especially if you need to to fiddle around with the the strength and get him up to strength five, um, bring his defense down. Who cares? He can be quite aggressive in that way. But this is a pretty good option, I find, the Hunter or Captain, and a, and a bargain price for, for just on foot, 45 points, pretty cheap, if, exactly the same as the, the Castellan. Or on Wag, you're getting up to the 55, 60 points, which is not cheap, but it also does a fair bit. I think my issue with him is... Um... I, I love the idea of the hunter or captain and the possibilities it opens, but I think the, I think my issue with him is you don't really know what to do with him. I mean, you want to take him mounted, but at the same time you don't. You want him to have his three attacks from the get-go. He he can have the option for the bow, but in this army list it's not particularly nah, useful. No, nah, don't bother the bow, this one. Um, it's, look, he's definitely your captain tweak to be much more aggressive, but at the same time that the glaring fight for means that, you know, your Citadel Guard from Gondor will easily match him if they're supporting a model that's fight three. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about him. I think he, in conjunction with a Warhorn, he can excel. He can take on some big scary things and, and really add some dice to your combats. Um, but I think he's just, as long as you play him aggressively, that's the most you should get out of him. He'll choose for some troops, but he's probably not going to take down anything too big. I think his biggest problem is that he's almost the same price as three named Hunter or Captains that can be allied in pretty effortlessly in this list. So you've got Yazneg, Nazug, and Fimble who all offer something unique to the list. So he potentially gets overshadowed by that with the way that this army works with the Green Alliances with the Azog's Hunters um, and also Azog's Legion that um, oftentimes you want to take him, but I feel like he becomes Fimble the Hunter for me more often than not. Uh, just for that fight five and the move through terrain and and everything else that Fimble comes with, if Fimble comes with a bow baked in, so he's he's almost a cheaper option. Yes, you get the one plus attack on foot. The march is really handy. I, I really like having a march in the army list somehow. So if he's my only marcher, I'll take him. But I, he's once again one of those guys that's potentially overshadowed. And I feel like sometimes the captain models that, that, and the named heroes, the points aren't exactly right. The captains feel like you're overpaying slightly, and the the named heroes you're underpaying. Yeah, no, no, I 100% agree. Like, he's he's at that points value where you're you're almost always going to take his named counterpart um, simply because they've got a better special rule or their expert rider, which you can't ignore, or as a strike there. But I think in a, in a tournament or event or a game where you're only taking a minimal amount of named heroes, for instance, uh, Silmarilli, as it was supposed to run this year, is a great option. Mm, yes. Because uh, he's generic and you can take him. He's got three attacks, which is uncommon amongst unnamed characters. Yeah, no, I, I think in, in instances where you don't want to take too many named characters or can't, he's fantastic. The one thing I will say is I do like his flexibility, especially if you can't take allies or for whatever reason in tournaments. They, they, they are, he is a useful character to put in, especially because of the fact that you can stick him in a log. You can do, you know, chuck in a sneaky hunter or captain in, in scenarios like uh, Caesar Prize and stuff. March him to the middle of the table, dismount him, pick up the prize, and have a three attack model with the prize and a point of might, you know, sitting there um, on, on on the first couple of turns. So 
I wouldn't dismiss the Hunter or Captain um, out of hand. He is one of your two accesses to marches. So thinking about which kind of march you want to bring into the list, either the Gundabad Captain or the Hunter or Captain, both of which I think are fairly good choices. Mm. Uh, it's just a matter of preference, and I wouldn't I wouldn't dismiss them straight away for other options because they're better. He does provide utility to the list, and I would think about think carefully about that utility before you remove him from your option pool. I wouldn't remove him from the option pool at all, but I think you need to know what role you're going to play with him. And I think Andreas made a good point: is that you have to almost choose a role for him early on because he can do a bit of everything, but not everything, not anything really well. So you got to you got to pick that out. We will talk about the Wag very soon as well. So he can potentially lead, and they can all lead the Hunter Orcs, which are a very good infantry option. So for eight points, which is a little bit costly for an orc, but still a pretty much a bargain price. You've got fight three standard orc. You've got strength four, which is really nasty. Defense mm. four, uh, that's that's okay. Attacks one, which we'll talk about. Uh, wounds one, courage two. Courage two is a bit of a bit of a pain. Uh, armor and two swords, and of course we know in Middle Earth two swords means you get extra attacks. So they've got the same many blades <laughs> rule. Um, while they're while they're on <laughs> while they're on foot, imagine it's just that easy. You just pick up another sword, and suddenly you double the ability of fighting. So these guys are really handy to get lots of attacks in a small base, but they're also good in that you've got really really good war gear options for them. You've got your warhorn, and this is your only warhorn in the list. So that's that's a good option. One plus courage, especially if you courage two guys, is pretty nasty. Uh, banner of twenty five points, good as well. Banner options are always good. Falwag, we'll talk about soon. Falwags are a good mount option. They are a little bit costly as cavalry models, but I think they're still if, if you use them well, they can still be very nice. They've got an orc bow, which you can take if you want to. Eh, I'm not too fussed about that one in this list. A two-handed pick, which is actually not a bad option as well, because it gives you extra hitting power with that strength four, so that can be a useful option. I think they're pretty good. Andreas, I know that you take a fair bit of these in the, the Dog or Door list. Uh, yes, they're, um, I'll be honest. These are the guys that win the games for me. Um, they're, they're very straightforward. You want them to be into combats and hitting things quite hard, hopefully. Um, the Strength 4 definitely helps with that. They're the kind of model that, yes, they're expensive at 8 points, but just for the 8 points, they're, they're quite they're quite versatile. You've got a model that can easily wound a uh, defense six or more hero without too many issues. Um, the extra attack from the many blades just gives them so many more options, especially when you consider that they're orcs. They're low courage. You're not going to be charging every single terror-causing um, model in the game, that's for sure. One thing I would I would say is that's not an issue. The reason being is because you've got two attacks, if you fail with one orc to get into combat and you get one other orc in, it's not the end of the world. You're still getting two attacks, and it's still a pretty, pretty good chance of rolling a six compared to, say, only one model can get in, which your average orc pretty much has no chance of doing. One thing I find with these guys is you don't actually need the Warhorn in this particular list, um, and I'll explain why. You often have so many support heroes that are Courage 5 or 6 and above in this particular rendition of, um, of the Hunter Orc list, and they kind of fill in the gap. You don't. You have a lot of heroes in this list, like the Necromancer and potentially Castellan, even though they can't share their standfast. But you have the Necromancer, who he will almost never be in combat if you don't want him to be. And if that's the case, you shouldn't have any trouble staying on the board when it comes to being broken and your Hunter Orcs are nearby, especially considering the Necromancer is a hero of legend. He automatically passes that first round. And because of his larger base, you are going to cover more Orcs more often. I don't think the courage is a big issue. Obviously, defense four is a bit underwhelming, but the fact that you're playing them super aggressively and 
as long as you have two or more of them in combat, you're getting four attacks effectively per combat, which is more than I can ask for in most situations. Yeah, they're, they're really good. They're the ultimate glass cannon orcs. Like, you, you just throw them in. They die quickly, but they kill really quickly as well. The Warhorn, I feel like it's almost an option if you're going for for more of the other things in the list. Like, I really like the Warhorn with the Gundabads, um, mainly because I've, I've found that Army of the Dead have been, has been a bit of a, a problem for me. And then, so the Horn to help out with these guys, to help out with the Wags, to help out with the Spiders, all this sort of stuff is actually pretty handy. So I don't I don't want to dismiss the Warhorn, but it is expensive, like 30 points, and it can be taken out. So uh, it's a choice that I, I, I often don't take because I don't have the points for it, but it's a good option as well when you've got such a variable courage. And it does mean the heroes just pretty much never fail ever. But you, you're right. The heroes, sometimes you can play a game where you only care if the hero's charged. The rest just stands there. Uh, these guys are good. They're, they're good as a swarm. I would definitely consider taking some as cavalry because I think they're good cavalry models. Um, the the Felwag, which we'll get into very soon, has the fell Sight special rule, which I think is one of the best rules in the game because you can stick them behind a wall and still threaten things and it can surprise people when they go hide their Hornblower, the Banner Bear or anything else. Uh, you just go and charge and take them out. Really useful. I I, ooh, I agree with everything you said. The cavalry um, comment. I think there is another option in this list that isn't cavalry but can act in pretty much the same way. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that kind of makes it redundant to try and take these guys on wags, unless you plan to dismount them early and pray they stay on the on the battlefield. They also, uh, I think, yeah, the, I this, think there's just better options. No, fair enough, fair enough. We'll get to that option very shortly, actually. But they, uh, the the that option you're talking about can't take a charge from a hero on cavalry and reduce the attacks as well. So these guys, I think, have their use. I think, th- yeah, I, I, I agree. The, once you get to 16 points for a, a cavalry model you've got another option that's that's pretty useful. So um, I, I do think they show up occasionally, but I wouldn't take them on mass at all. I would take, when I'm talking about taking them, I'll take three or four maybe, but it's a, it's definitely a maybe. I agree with that. Uh, let's talk about the Felwag now as well. And Kyle, you can take some comments both about the Hunter Orcs and Felwags as well together because I keep hinting at the Felwag. If you take them with a the Felwag, you can also take the Felwag separately. It's move 10, which is very handy in this list because it's a pretty slow list overall. Fight three, strength four, Defense 4, nothing right home about. Attacks 1, Wounds 1, Courage 2, Claws and Teeth, War Gear. But Fell Sight, and you get that on the Wag as well. This is Infantry, or it's Cavalry if you put the Hunter Orc on it. Having some extra movement for 8 points is pretty good. Uh, I don't always take them. They're not always my first choice. But when you do take them, they're always particularly useful. I wouldn't. I probably would avoid taking a whole horde of them. I think a handful, again, is pretty good to, to have some movement. But they're, they're another option. You've got a surprisingly amount of options in this list. I agree pretty much with with all the sentiments you've you've kind of talked about, Jeremy. I don't mind a couple of our Falwags in my army, uh, or even mounted hunter orcs uh, on Falwags in my army, simply because of that fell sight. And I know I'm harping on a little bit about what you've already talked about, Jeremy, but we cannot kind of stress enough how good that fell sight special rule is. Being able to charge without line of sight is an absolute godsend because you can you can do really funky things like hide behind terrain and basically force your opponent to stay away from it if they come into the 10 inches of the terrain you zip out and charge them while still being safe from you know enemy magic and spell and uh, bow fire so being able to have that kind of comfort in from you know not being attacked or targeted from a certain position on the on the table can be very very useful and 
And, you know, I, I talk about having tech, tactical flexibility in armies a lot. And these guys are, are almost the gold standard, the kind of standard that everything else is compared against because being able to charge stuff that you can't see is, it, it is huge. And I, I don't think we can stress how much that ability, how good it, how good it is and how much it's worth. I, I'll just interject there as well. I think this is probably the one, the Felwag's probably the one model that really emphasizes an average stat line, average model made pretty extraordinary because of one rule. And I think what the rule adds to the model as well is, even if it's not by itself, it's with a hunt rock or by itself, doesn't matter. I think it adds to the fact that you can go hide at an objective or just behind somewhere where you're near the objective but they can't see you. And you can control how your opponent approaches that objective simply because the first round of combat, if the opponent does get there, you will have the advantage of the fact that you're choosing when and where that happens. I, I, I couldn't agree with Carly more. I think having the, having the ability to 100% dictate that first combat or that first round of combat simply by choosing how it happens, when it happens, it's probably one of those things where it takes out all the skill of positioning from your opponent and they just have to they have to play into your hand if they want to gain any ground essentially yeah they're, and they're great as reserves as well to surprise people because of that because of that fell sight people sometimes forget about it so having that that trap where you've got a, a nazgul or something that that they want to go and charge and then suddenly you've got a pack of felwags around them in combat with them that they didn't expect can be very very useful so i feel like these ones i don't think they're a bad choice if you throw them in the list i don't think you're going to be disappointed with them i think they they do it they do a job if you play on boards that don't have a lot of terrain you'll get less value out of them straight out but even just the movement 10 in an army list that's that's mo- mostly infantry is pretty useful. Mm. So we're now going to move on to the Gundabad Orc Captain. So on to the Gundabads, which our listeners will know that, that I particularly like. So once again, there's going to be some bias here. For 50 points, which is not cheap at all, you get and basically a Moran and Orc Captain profile. So you've got Fight 4, Strength 5, which is very nice, a Strength 5. Defense 6, 2 attacks, 2 wounds. Courage 4, also very nice. 2 might, 1 will, 1 fate. Get a sword, you get heavy armor, you get the march, which, once again, I feel like a march is pretty useful in this list, in most lists, quite frankly. But if you want to get a march, this guy is your your infantry, tanky, attacky hero. He's got a shield option, which you pretty well always take for five points, making him 55. He's got ancient enemies of dwarves and ancient enemies of owls, which is both very useful. So it's, I think that's re-rolling the ones against those factions, which is pretty good yeah. combined with the strength of five. So he does kill elves pretty well. This, the fight four is, is quite useful at times because fight four is pretty much the average profile now. So it's good to have some average stuff. He's hard to take down because he's basically running at defense seven with the ability to shield. So I like him as a tank, even instead of things like the um, the Castellans, if you want to play that role, because you've got the potential march as well. Uh, if you're taking Gundabad Orcs, I feel like he's... he's like to throw one of these lists, you won't be disappointed. Uh, I agree. I think he's um, a slightly less durable tank than the Castellan, uh, but he definitely feels more roles. So in that sense, uh, he can show stand fast. He's better at wounding um, certain races and factions, and he's got the march. I, I think that just for me, I'm happy to spend the extra ten or fifteen points simply to have that versatility. And this is probably the one reason why I wouldn't want to take the Castellan too often. Yeah, I, I, I so regretted taking the Castellan over one of these guys because the amount of times I needed his march or I needed a couple extra points of might to, to run some heroic moves or some heroic combats. Uh, there's some really good heroes in this list and to be able to have a, just a guy that's their job is just to empower the heroic 
heroic combats with a small base is really good. He's he's great for even for end game because his courage is good enough that he can do some stand fast stuff. But he's also really hard to take down. So I've played games with him where basically I just use him as a tank. I run him straight into heroes and things like that. And that, the strength four heroes take a long time to get through him. He's he's really hard. Even if I'm out of might, just putting him into a strength four hero means that it takes some time with two wounds and a point of fate and defense seven and the potential to shield. He, he helps the rest of your army list go aggressive. So I, I just I just like this guy and I, I like the model for him. He's easy enough to convert now that you've got the converting pack as well from Forge World. So I I think he's definitely a must take if you're taking Gundabad Orcs. And and the Gundabad Orcs pretty much have a similar profile to him. Only the fight three, strength four, defense five, which goes up to defense six if you give him a shield, which you do. Which you do. <laughs> Attacks one, wounds one, courage three. The courage three, you're paying a point for it. It's a point well spent. I love courage three on an orc. It's it's really, really handy. Heavy armor sword, yep, that's fine. Uh, you get a banner option on these guys, great. Banner option, looks great, especially the Forge World upgrade. Shield and spear, oftentimes you just take both of those in the same package. You don't have to take the spear on every one of them. I would argue that that you'd be silly not to take the shield on everyone because it gives the potential to double your attacks if you need to, and it gives you the the up defense, which is good as well. I like these guys. I like to take them instead of the Hunter Orcs a lot of times. I feel oftentimes it's one or the other because sometimes they don't play well together, but I've, I really love these guys. I find them a really good option. Think Moran and Orcs with a little bit better courage. I think one thing people have to consider, these guys coupled in with a couple of Hunter Orcs, especially simply... Simply because the Hundreds can take that Warhorn, suddenly you're looking at an Orc Warrior with Courage 4, which if you're fighting, and more commonly we'll see it, the, um, I think it's Return of the King Legion, mm. or you just army the plainly, suddenly everyone's wind on fives, which is a lot more reasonable for you to deal with, especially when you know anyone playing Orcs is used to being wounded on you know threes or fours when they're playing Army of the Dead. Um, not to mention, your chances are you'll get more of those charges off, or the staying power is better long-term for this army, especially if you have that higher courage. I think something they do nicely is that they complement the Hunter Orcs, not thematically, but in the sense that if you chuck one with a spear behind a Hunter Orc, you're looking at a three attacks with a banner behind it potentially, and that, that's quite hard to deal with, especially with Strength 4. Yes, the fight is not amazing, uh, but it's what you expect from Orcs in en masse. You're looking at some good results. I wish they had the pike option, even if you couldn't team it up with the shield. <gasps> Because in what the movies, they have pikes. I know, it's so annoying. They originally they had the pikes. Te- they teased it, and then it was... Was it, was it FAQ'd within a week? Yeah, something, something like really that. It was terrible. Yeah, it was a bad choice as well, because they definitely have pikes in the movie. And imagine that Hunter Orcs with these guys pike behind them. Who cares about the shield at that point? You've got a serious wall. I mean, it is an expensive wall at that point, because they aren't cheap models. Especially when you consider a pike. Is, is pike is one point usually, correct? Yeah, usually one point. But oh, that that would be that be absolutely filthy. I, I, yeah, I think there's a reason they got rid of that, but it, it's a bit of a shame. Thematically. It's a poor reason, I think. I think it, yeah. if a lot of the other guys can get them, and even Dol Amroth's getting pikemen, I think these guys who had them in the movies should get pikes. I expect yeah. when the next uh, Hobbit book comes out, which hopefully won't be too long, they'll definitely get their pikes and definitely get their pike yeah. models. I can't see uh, them skipping those like they do with all the orcs that had bows and. Uh, if they're not in the movie and they're not giving the option, what are you doing? You're giving them horn options, which are never in the movie, but you're not, yeah. t- not giving them pikes. Well, no, these guys don't have horns. But Well, we yeah. live in a game where Kid and is a minor hero. Anything's possible. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I really like these guys. And once again, I'm biased because I have a lot of them. And for some of the scenarios, you have to take a lot of them. I think they look really cool. They're, they're just reliable and they're surprisingly difficult to move because they've got that defense six. So against most armies, they're having trouble getting rid of them. And at strength four, you're hitting pretty hard. They give your necromancer and friends time. And that's this is really valuable in this army. Time means that the necromancer can do more. Time means that the, the Nazgul can dance around more and they can pick their targets. Time means that the the uh, keeper of the dungeons doesn't have to go in straight away. He can pick his targets. So that they're really good for time. I, I really like those Gundabad Orcs. Kylie, do you want to add anything more for Gundabad Orcs? Not, not, not really, no. Um, you pretty much said everything. Uh, you know, We've hopped on and on about shield spear models and how good they are, and that's what these guys are. They're shield spear models that are solely there to die slowly. I, I love your, your comment about uh, the Defense 7 Captain. I mean, how many games have some of us won with a Descent... Defense seven captain sitting in front of like a, a Glorfindel or a Boromir just tanking everything because they can't wound. They're solid, they're reliable, they'll do their job until the cows come home. Yes. Yes, and you definitely want the cows to come home in this army list every time. Now, Andreas, <laughs> I'm gonna let you take the next one because this one is the specialty of this list. The very sneaky ah. fun option. Yes, this is the uh, my favorite non-cavalry cavalry unit game. So Mirkwood Spiders, they have the Spider Mirkwood Infantry and Warrior keywords. They are 20 points. Oh, sorry, should I not say that? No, 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 say, say <laughs> no. it. Say, you can't copyright 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 points. <laughs> um, they have movement of 10, which is absolutely fantastic. They have a... Look, a very disappointing fight value of two, which is <laughs> yeah. interesting to see. Um, strength of five, which is fantastic, easy to wound a lot of things, especially troops. A defense of three, which I suppose keeps in line with a lot of the, the theme we're seeing with spiders. Uh, two attacks, which is great. Two wounds, which is good, but a very disappointing courage of two. Generally, you want to take a warhorn with these guys. Um, Wargear, they have venomous fangs, so they cannot be disarmed, which is good. They have the special rules, Poison Fangs, Swift Movement, and Terror. Poison Fangs, I believe, is just re-rolling ones to yes. wound. Yeah, Swift um, Movement's fantastic, though. They, they're running over everything, these guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, these guys, they, they find it ha- they have no issues getting across the battlefield really quickly where you need them to be. It's, you, can almost, you can almost play them behind your line and, and kind of hope that your opponent goes one way or the other, and suddenly... Suddenly you're realigning where they are. One turn later, they're, you know, 10, 15 inches down the line because they can just move so fast. Mm, get, um, the, get the best rule. Best rule. Oh, the best rule. I'm sorry. I've been building up this. Oh, I'm so excited. Spiderwebs. It is an active special rule and ability. A Mirkwood spider can shoot webs at its enemies. They are treated as a thrown weapon with a range of eight inches. If a Mirkwood spider hits the target, do not roll to wound. Instead, the model suffers the effects of the paralyzed magical power. A hero model hit by the spiderweb can choose to expend a fate point in the same manner as if it had just been wounded in order to dodge the attack. If successful, the target model is not paralyzed. I think the best thing for me, for this rule for me, is that it's a thrown weapon and it's eight inches and not six. It's it's one of those things where mathematically, on a shoot value of five plus, this should not be going off as much as it should. But Kylie, I think you'll agree with me. It goes off way more than it should. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All the up. I Merkwood spiders are probably one of my favorite models in the game, simply because of how they affect not only gameplay, not only their flexibility and how you can use them, 
but also in the way it affects statistics on the board, in particular how it affects your opponent's might and fate because getting paralysed sucks. Let me say this from both (laughs) being on the receiving end of a Mirkwood Spider, using a Mirkwood Spider, and having so much fun with with Barrowites. These guys are... Absolutely incredible. Pretty much every chance you get with them, you take a, a spiderweb shot at a hero or, or whatever because you, you can move full inch, full 10-inch speed, chuck an 8-inch web. You've got massive threat range. They they are honestly what makes the Dolgul Dur army scary. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, I that, that one in three chance of hitting is more like a one in two if we take it into practical sense. <laughs> I mean, the amount of times I've seen, like, I, I think in at Arda, actually, and I don't think it was against you, Carl. I think it was against one of the players. Sorry, I don't recall names. But I charge into Durin with a spider. I paralyze once. He recovered two turns later. I charge in again with the same spider. And he was paralyzed again. And it's, it's a kind of model where it just doesn't make sense how it performs so well. But it does. Oh, if these guys get going, you pretty much win games. And look, if they if they don't, you you have a hard time because they 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 are your hitters, but they're also your movement. They they do everything for your army. I've had them take down Caliborn in one turn that was powered by a Tom Bombadil ready to heal him. Just charged in full stack Caliborn, got the paralyze on the charge, couldn't couldn't recover it with the the fate roll, couldn't stop the the paralyze, and then took him down in one turn. And and these guys. Can, can do the work for you big time. They love heroes on the flanks. Any hero that comes on the flanks, you watch out because you're going to get a spider in your face and you're probably going to die. And they can be conservative. They can sit back and throw webs until you're webbed and go in or they can they can wait for long. Uh, in the, the last one, Arda Unleashed, I had this guy tagged up team with Fimble and I had an Ent on the flank, one of those new hero Ents. And the spider mm. managed to get the, the web off. So Fimble decided to go all in by himself and took down the, the Ent in one turn because of the Paralyze doubling the strikes and, and all this sort of stuff going on. They're just so useful. And for 20 points, they're an absolute bargain. And this is why the Cavalry is it's hard to take because for 16 points compared to 20, these guys are much, much better than the, the Cavalry. The only thing is they don't have the Cavalry keyword and their, their base size can be awkward at times because they are on that really big base. Yeah, arguably, arguably the base doesn't help, especially when you're trying to pack in some models and get traps with more and more models. I think, look, the glaring weakness for them is they're awful at winning stand-up fights. Yes. Um, you, you're looking, they're, they're able to barely match your, your standard Moria Goblin. So for Moria Goblin shields, you're looking effectively the same chances of anything happening and even the same chances of wounding just about. But I think, I just think that the greatest, disadvantage, not disadvantage, sorry, disadvantage to your opponent is that, they know they can expect a paralyze coming at any given second, but the problem is for them when that paralyze goes off, it changes the, the whole tempo for their game. So they've suddenly got to realign where their resources are going. They've suddenly got to find, okay, I need spare troops to try and wake up my buddy or wake up my hero, whatever it may be. And suddenly they're finding, oh look, I can't, I can no longer go capture that objective because this spider has bogged down my biggest asset. The real kicker for me is that they have unlimited paralyze. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's almost like the Sentinels in there. It's just cheeky. It feels like it should be a, a spell. It should be a limited resources, but they can just throw webs the whole game. So, like, having four of these guys in your battle line really just encourages the enemy to get into contact with you as soon as possible because you can just stand that seven and a half inches away and just be lobbing webs constantly, and some of them are going to hit, and that's scary for the opponent to have their hero suddenly paralyzed and have to 
to wait some number of turns to wake them up, which sometimes is never. Coupling this in with a um, Shroud of Shadows goes nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, these are a good target for that as well. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Def- yeah, because they've got the speed as well, which is useful. So they can you can use it to protect them for a turn. You can use it to, to be aggressive. You can do lots of things with it. Well, one, one thing as well, um, and this is actually the one situation where the huge base kind of comes into play quite well, is you can use Strata Shadows on the model. It becomes invisible. Yes, enemy models can move through the model, but it's got such a large base size that sometimes it won't make it through, <laughs> which means it can't move at all, um, oh, which true. is also quite good. <laughs> so you have to stay at least an inch away, essentially. Yeah, having it, having it, yeah, make a bottleneck. That's a that's a good option for it as well. The courage and the fight value are huge weaknesses, but everything else is such a strength that I really like these sort of models. They they reward you playing well. They reward you being aggressive. They reward you being defensive. They reward you moving. They're they're so much fun. Um, I will uh, make a point here that that they really do couple well with a certain orc hero, and that is, of course, Fimble, who can move through the terrain and keep up with them. He's the one guy that can basically run with them, and that's the one thing they're missing is they don't have any might with them. So if you want to play the Alliance game and you want to take Spiders, that guy's a pretty good option as an upgrade for them. Yeah, I agree 100% with everything you said. I've got more stuff I'm looking forward to talking about. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna wait till we get into sort of the uh, tactical yeah. stuff um, oh, and uh, omulus creation before we are, before we uh, delve too far deep into the Merkwood spider hole. Keep it secret, keep it safe. I know you've been waiting for this, listener. The tactics for using the Dol Guldur list, and more specifically, the Necromancer, who is only in this list. Andreas, you are probably the most experienced of us at playing Dol Guldur. Can you start with your tactics? That is high praise indeed, Jeremy. The Necromancer of Dol Guldur, he is the bread and butter that you will have in this army. He is probably one of the... This is probably one of the few army lists where you, you essentially have to take a specific model, and this guy is your number one. We've obviously gone through his stats, and we can see what he has to offer. I think one of the, one of the great things about Necromancer is they can fill in multiple roles quite easily, despite being predominantly the game's, I would say, one of top three best spellcasters. Uh, and Kylie's free to argue with me about that later. <laughs> what are your initial thoughts? Top three, yeah. You know what? I, I would, I would give him top three. Okay, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remit that and say interchangeably top three. Is that better? <laughs> no, 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 no. Thinking about my the the, the vast collection of spellcasters in this game, I know I agree with that. He's in the okay. top three. I, I, I'd agree. He's top in one. the top three. Top, top, best. I mean, Jeremy and I would agree probably one or two. We'll we'll, we'll pass that. That's fine. <laughs> All right. So necromancer, what's he good at? So couple of things. He's fantastic at not necessarily controlling, but certainly dictating what your opponent's heroes will be doing. What I'll do for the Necromancer is I'm actually going to go through his magical powers a bit one by one because his tactics sort of revolve around what he's deciding to cast so much. You've got first up on list, Drain Courage on 12 inches on a two plus to cast. This is surprisingly better uh, to cast early on in game 
actually probably one of the more popular spells to cast with him than people would take. Reason being is when you couple with the fact that he's got Ancient Evil and just about every other hero in this uh, strict list alone has something similar like Harbinger of Evil at least, it becomes very good at deterring your opponent's troops from actually targeting things like your Mirkwood spiders, or even if you have Shroud of Shadows um, popped up on something big like a, a Keeper of the Dungeons, it'll ma- essentially make him very hard to, to tag unless you've got Bodyguard in your opponent's armies. So Drain Courage is fantastic for that. It actually couples in well with Instill Fear. If you can drain the courage of a particular model that you're essentially worried you won't have any sort of answer to, which shouldn't be too much of an issue for the Necromancer. At the very least, you can you can kind of null and void what he's able to do by draining that courage, ensuring he can't charge a Necromancer, and effectively making sure they don't do anything for that game. There's nothing more, I guess, disappointing for an opponent than popping Necromancer in the middle. You have your... <laughs> I'm going to go with Gilgalag simply because he's the first thing that comes to mind every time. Your Gilgalad's been drained, drained Courage down to, say, Courage 4. is now down to 3 because of Ancient Evil. Nothing is more disappointing than having a hundred and... I think, is it 190 points, Jeremy? Oh, don't ask me so, about points. <laughs> he's almost 200-odd points for Gilgalad. Nothing more disappointing than seeing him not being able to charge something like the Necromancer. Um, and, and I think that's that's one thing that can be taken into account. Transfix is a 185. 185? Just beat me to it. I just got to his his profile. <laughs> well, that can be a big counter for something that's worth almost as many points as the Necromancer alone. And it's only on the list. Transfix is definitely the bread and butter uh, for any spellcaster. And on a 2+, plus, the Necromancer does it probably better than any other spellcaster in the game. Look, it, it's no-brainer. You're using this to bog down enemy heroes, making sure they're not call-in actions, they can't strike back, or if you're feeling really confident and you've got enough big hitters into him, channel that through and almost always going to kill a model that's got a channel transfix against as long as you've got the right like right heroes, right monsters, right models facing it. Uh, same with Compel, except you can dictate where your opponent needs to be, which is good. Instill Fear for the Necromancer couples in really nicely with his Ancient Evil and Drain Courage. So for that one, it, it's situational, I feel. But in the situations where it does go off, you can have quite a wide disperse effect, especially when you're trying to get people off an objective or away from the middle of the board and kind of just mess up the, the cohesion of your enemy's, your enemy's force. For me, Shroud of Shadows is, is the real dark horse of the Necromancer. Couple this in with a Mirkwood Spider. You find it's impossible to shoot them, which is great because they have low defense. Your Mirkwood Spider will probably tag something that's juicy, like a Boromir, in that case, I don't recommend it goes in alone, but it's got a good chance of bringing him down to, at the very highest, fight five. In that case, then you have something like, you know, your Gundabad or Captain charge in, and suddenly you find that he's quite well matched. You've also got your staff is broken, which is actually really, really good in this edition, simply because characters like Gandalf have received so many goodies, and it's a real pain in the butt when you have a Gandalf running around casting a Banish every two seconds, and, and suddenly you find that this is an answer to that one problem. It's, it's very specific, I find, but in the scenario where you do have to use it, you are so grateful that you do have it. Chill Soul, bit of a bread and butter again for this kind of model, as you would find with most Ringwraith-like models. If you've got a banner that's annoying you from the back and there's nothing to pass it on to, it's really good for assassinations. Or even, and I found this is the best one, and Kylie will agree with me, 
chill souling an enemy that's tagged one of your heroes and then being able to move that hero. I think I think Carly will remember this quite specifically at Ardor Unleashed. There's nothing more frustrating than um than having a model killed before you can do a heroic combat or heroic action, anything like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's it's one of those one of those tactics that more common than you'd think, but you don't actually realize it until it's happening. When you've got that chill soul going off and it's on any model, you think, okay, don't worry, I'm just losing. Suddenly you've got a Yasnig, you've got a Gundabad or Captain, you've got a Keeper of the Dungeons. They are free to move again. And trust me, they are going for your banner. They are going for that hero. They will do some serious damage. So in that sense, it's. I'd like to think in this list, Chill Soul, it is an aggressive spell, but it's also more of a support spell to kind of get your heroes and models where they need to be by clearing a path, essentially. Uh, then we get finally to Sap Will. Sap Will, pretty pretty straightforward. You're looking to drain your opponent's ability to stop the Necromancer from a distance. Um, this You're definitely using this in conjunction with your staff is broken against something like something like Gandalf, definitely something like Saruman, who has a, a bigger spell threat range than the Necromancer. Uh, pretty much anything that can shut down the Necromancer from a distance, um, Sapwell is your go-to. Uh, and the one that's not covered in his profile, Curse... This is, I find this is quite situational, but the best situation where Curse comes into play is it works quite fantastic when you're fighting those heroes with any sort of elven ring. So like Naya, Venya, and I think there's one more as well. Um, what was it, Terry? You think you'd know? Vilya. Vilya, that's the one, yes. So in the situation where you've got Elrond or Gandalf or Galadriel coming at you, yeah. and they're not too uncommon, Curse is a really good counter. Um, nothing worse than having that reroll fate on a Galadriel that just heroic defense, even though you've swarmed her with eight orcs <laughs> and and then finding that you can't even do one or two wounds. So look, I, I think curse is really understated. It is niche, but when you do need to use it, it can really, really dictate how your opponent's going to react next turn. It can stop people from being aggressive, which is fantastic. That covers essentially the spell capabilities. I think the Necromancer is really good at handling one thing I would also like to cover as well, surprisingly but also unsurprisingly, he is fantastic in combat, but he's best off with a faint sort of tactic. Not faint as in the special rule, but faint as in he's ducking in and out. There's nothing there's nothing more I guess, surprising than seeing a necromancer in the back behind a wall of Gundabad or Warriors or even Hunter Orcs or other models, and then suddenly he clears a path and comes straight for your hero right at the front. And he's supported with a you know a couple of hunter orcs, a couple of gunabat or horrors, or even a Merkwood spider, which is the best combination. I find that once the necromancer gets into combat, if you choose your combats correctly, you're able to cast off the spell. You're almost always going to do some serious damage, and it forces your opponent to really think about what they're going to do next. And almost always, they will spend might trying to trying to counteract this tactic. And you know it works really well when you duck in from behind your lines into combat and then you hero combat out and then back into your lines. That actually actually find that that really puts your opponent off and they think, oh, holy crap, it's coming next turn again. But then, you know, will it or will it not? Who knows? Yeah, that's a really good one. I do like that tactic where you, you duck in and duck out and it's it 
can be sometimes it feels like a, a bit guilty when you're using the might for it, but the fact that the it's it's such a such a scary thing for the opponent where you you walk in, you potentially take out something of huge value, and then you duck back to where you were. It it, it really it's it's what do they do? They can't do anything about it in their mind, and suddenly that's that's a huge pressure and it means that oftentimes after you've done that once even if it's just to a captain or something like that the other heroes end up hiding in the back which is fantastic because they're not doing anything at that point it's it's almost like a letter of warning doing it to a not a small hero but a hero like a captain or slightly better than captain named character and then ducking out it, it just it just something clicks in your opponent makes them realize oh my goodness nothing i have is safe as long as the necromancer's around and it kind of messes with them. They, they don't know what to throw at it. Do they become really aggressive and try and ping him down? Or do they try and kind of mitigate and try and work around him? And and I think that really plays to your advantage in this list. And I think it's one of the real surprises that this list has. The fact that the Necromancer, he's fantastic with the spell casting. He gets the extra dice for casting. Uh, is it only for casting? Or, or Yeah, it's only for casting. casting. It's not for casting, yeah. He gets the extra dice for that. He, he buffs up your Nazgul by giving them the plus one to resurrect. He's got the ancient. He's just super versatile. And I think the reason that they've put heroic strength and challenge into his profile is because they kind of, I think the, the writers of the, the game are really encouraging you to remember, look, this guy can do damage if you put him up in, in the face of something that he's, he's either nerfed or he's got support with. He will do some serious damage. Have oh, you ever nice. cast challenge with him? No, no, <laughs> no, no. I remember when I was I started playing him early on in this edition. Uh, I totally had a mix up with his rules. I thought he had the um, what is it, the uh, blades of the dead? Is it? I thought he had that rule where he struck against the courage, and I thought, oh, that's fantastic. I'm wounding everything on a on a three or whatever it may be. Then I realized it wasn't the case. So then it maybe it clicked and maybe realized how good strength was. But challenge, I'll be honest. That I have tried every single game. This is the promise. I've tried every single game to try and find a way to use challenge, and I can never ever justify spending the might point on challenge rather than than either a, a spell or a heroic move. I just can't. Yep, agreed, agreed. Or heroic combat or something like that. It's just there's so much good stuff. The thing with heroic combat as well is spend. I, I generally generally don't want him spending his might on heroic combat if if I can avoid it. Unless he's maybe with, like, say, a Merkwood spider or only one or two orcs. Moving on to how it works in conjunction with other models. So the Necromancer by himself is a powerhouse, as everyone as everyone can probably see from this dance. He works very, very, very well with the Nazgul. And I think we definitely touched on what the Nazgul can do alone, but something we didn't really go too deeply into is what they do with the Necromancer. He's Look, he's in the list solely to support the Nazgul, even though he can do everything else quite well. The plus one to the resurrection is absolutely outstanding. It's something you cannot ignore. And your opponent often forgets that with the Necromancer and the Nazgul together, like I wouldn't be surprised if not a single Nazgul dies in a game. One thing that goes really well, combination, Shroud of Shadows works with any of the Nazgul. Hands down, any Nazgul, Shroud of Shadows combination, uh, preferably channeled if possible. It's just one of those things that can quite easily take down a big... So one of my favourite tactics that is very resource-heavy is have the necromancer chuck a faint. Uh, he's chucking a channeled channeled shroud of shadows onto one of the Nazgul. He then proceeds to charge something quite big. The Nazgul comes in and supports with him, and because he's got that uh, that that invisibility, it's a very good chance that nothing else is going to counter charge and untag him. And then suddenly you've got a fight seven model fighting against something that's at best fight five. 
something that auto on a wounded it will auto kill the model if it doesn't pass any fate points you've then got the nazgul to add the extra dice to the roll with might behind it. it it's one of those things that if that combination gets pulled off quite well i don't see there being a viable answer to it unless some, someone has heroic defense to to answer that and even then a single six from a necromancer that's in that situation probably trapping you it's it's, it's really hard to not get a six any thoughts jeremy I do like that, that you use the, the Shroud of Shadows more than I do, and I, I do probably think it's a way to go. I've been, um, and I'll talk about my tactics very shortly, but I tend to use the Necromancer a lot with, um, with the, the Nazgul, so I find that I'm not setting up combats with him as much, because oftentimes I don't have an extra model to be with him. He's, he's, he's one-on-one if he's, he's, he's in combat, but you're right, that, that time when you bring him in as an assassin is huge. Uh, you've got to make sure he don't get pinned by the warriors, though. That's, that's the trick, because if he, if he gets shut down, then you're in trouble, but it's usually not too bad because you've got a wall of guys. It's only when the guys disappear around him that you're worried at all. Well, that's it. Like, I mean, it is one of those tactics where you're going to spend probably one or two might in that turn alone trying to pull off, and in a way that can be daunting considering you only has the three might to begin with. But at the same time, you've got to remember, if you're able to take a hitter, not turn one, but in one round of combat or one or two rounds, that one or two might becomes insignificant. A Gilgalad or Boromir and Aragorn down in one turn is, it's well worth spending the two or even three might. Absolutely. If the Necromancer has no might, he's still a very useful spellcaster. He's still a very useful tank. He's still a very useful leader. He still does lots of things. He's good in combat with a friend, uh, even just as a, as a, just a generic combat guy. But if you manage to take down a big 150 point hero or 150 point plus, that's, that's already most of his 250 points gotten back through just kill power, and he's going to do more. Even if you just become a, an annoyance where you're going to transfix and chill soul later on and then tank, he, he's huge. So so don't be afraid to spend that might early on to get the assassination, because if you do, the game becomes much easier. One thing I would recommend, um, just adding to that, the moment he runs out of might, I try to keep him away from the front line if he has no other heroes to support up. I'm not totally comfortable putting him in with maybe, you know, one or two warriors or even the spider alone, simply for the fact that once he's out of my, it's, it's it's a lot harder to get that guaranteed win on the fight. And even though he's possibly not going to get wounded, even if he loses, too many things can go wrong and then he can get bogged down quite easily. And I think that's one of the things that you have to avoid when you're playing with him. Back onto the Nazgul, since we were talking about them, fantastic versatility, Every single Nazgul fills in a different role, even if you're talking not with a not with a necromancer in conjunction. They're really versatile. They're good at killing. They're good at moving around. Fantastic courage. Um, most of them have uh, have the two might, but obviously you've got witching with three, which is great for calling extra actions. Just the big thing for me is the staying power. I think with the Nazgul, you almost don't want to spend their might, not at all, but at least keeping one in reserve just ensures that end late game where you're praying your models don't leave the battlefield or they don't die. It's just one of those things that it just gives you that extra comfort to have in hold. They're fantastic for standfast, so having them around blocks of even four to six troops or even more can be quite good. Ideally, you want to keep the one mine reserve, as I mentioned, but they're also great. I think the real kicker people don't realise is it's great for wasting your opponent's resources. Your opponent has to very quickly kind of decide... Will I waste my? Will I will I address this issue with a big hero? Will I take it on with just some troops and try and bog him down? In which case, 
look, the Nazgul are all quite adept at killing your stock standard um, troop line. And I, I don't think that becomes an issue for them, especially the Slayer of Men and the Forsaken. Even even least in with his minus one is still pretty good at chewing through some hordes. I think in that sense, it really forces your opponent to choose what they're doing with him, which is great. It gives you that that advantage that you can kind of dictate where you want to put them, where you want the other, where, where you want your other heroes to be, where you want your opponent's heroes to be, and, and that's that's really good option to have, especially when you have other armies where you don't get that option. Like playing dwarves, you know you're the slower, you're, you know the slower force of the two, so you kind of have to play to someone else's reactions. And in this case, I think it's good making sure your opponent's always on the on the reactive side of things. The big big other hero that can be substituted quite easily for the Nazgul, and, and I think he ties in quite well in in a similar role, is the Keeper of the Dungeons. This one's interesting for me because I haven't played him in a tournament setting, but I played him in practice games. I find that he'll substitute perfectly for all your Nazgul, but you want him in the action quickly, otherwise he ends up doing not very much very quickly. And in that sense, I think you need to be very aggressive with him. And if you're playing against against a horde army, he's your number one choice. He'll chew through even dwarves quite quickly, especially once he's gotten a couple of kills under his belt. He's re-rolling to wounds. Honestly, this is the one model in this list that your opponent should, would want to keep away from your normal troops. If anything, he's the kind of hero that your opponent has to address with another hero or a bigger hitter. Because even by himself, he's actually quite... He's quite capable of taking on something slightly larger. I mean, the best example that comes to mind would be a Huron, similar sort of stat line. The Huron has defense six, which is great. Only needing fives to wound on on uh, the keeper goes down to fours. They both have strike, but you're finding something like Huron will be a bit more expensive to run. So your opponent's trying to run a similar model into your model, hoping that they can probably kill each other off. But there's also a good chance that a model like the Keeper of Dungeons can take on bigger heroes and come out on top, especially with that killing power. The moment your opponent loses that, there's a solid chance he's going to chew through them or, or, or do some serious damage, especially if it's a bigger hero with more wounds to chew through. Uh, in fact, I would argue that he probably does better against multi-wound characters uh, more than not. Yeah, he, he's he's really scary to play against. Like You're right. The most uh, as I'm gonna gonna get into this a little bit too early, but the tactic for playing against this army is to throw throw guys into the throw troops into the heroes and just just let them waste their time while you, your heroes go take out the army and rip it apart. But you can't do that really against the the keeper of the dungeons because you throw a hero into him, he's likely to just turn around and kill that hero. If he wins around the combat, he can do a wound on every dice he throws back. So watch out for this guy. He he he's he's a he's a glass cannon. He can die really easily, but he hits really really hard and is very useful. Well, that's it. I mean, on paper, he, he's he's already impressive, but people aren't scared of him straight up. I think the the advantage that he has is that people don't see him as the immediate. So they look at the Necromancer, they look at the Nazgul that can pop up all around the place and, and do nasty shenanigans. But this guy, I think he's he's just that tiny bit more reliable for making sure, look, I'm getting my opponent closer to that break point. I, I'm, I'm forcing my opponent to, to try and... I guess expend troops in order to in order to stop me, but at the end of the day, he's very capable of chewing through many many more models than he, his points value would dictate. He's just he's just raw damage output. I, I can't can't think of anything any other way to describe it. Moving on to to the other hero options we've got, we've got the captains. I mean, one thing this list 
does lack and it lacks quite severely is is high maneuverability if you're not looking past uh if you're looking past the um Merkwood spider it it doesn't really have a, a huge way of getting around too fast and i think what the orc sorry the hunter orc captains and the gunner battle captains really add to that is you can't go past that march as much as as much as you don't need a captain with the staying power that the Nazgul have or the raw damage output that um that the keeper of the dungeons has it's just something something that's just too reliable to pass up. In larger point games, 750 and above, I'd probably argue, having that march to get to an objective in Seize the Prize or even to get the objective in Maelstrom and, and try and dig up some some goodies, it's it's something that you can't really overlook because it's one... one I'm getting too early into it as well. <laughs> one weakness the army has that it's normally... So you, need, you really need a way of trying to mitigate that and get into the places you need to be. I mean... It's one thing to get into combat and do all the awesome damage that your Keeper of Dungeons will do, your Nazgul will do, your your Strength 4 Orcs will do. But if you're facing something like a cavalry army, you want to have an answer to that. And sometimes the answer is simply march up into their face and then hope that the next turn you have, you have um, priority and then you can do some serious damage. And I, I think in a way, the captains, whilst overlooked, they just add something to the list. And, and not only that, but they're more than likely to be the hero that's going to stick with your troops, with your hunter orcs or your Gundabad orc warriors, and and they just support them really well. They're making sure that you're you may not only just hold the line, but you have a very good chance of breaking through the line if you have a captain they're supporting. It's just something I'd, I I don't think you can overlook easy. One of the things I absolutely love about the Necromancer and particularly uh, the Castellans and the Merkwood Spiders is how they interact with fate. And I think you can do some really, really cool, funky stuff uh, with your army list in how you interact with your opponent's fate. Because you're able to insta-kill um, off, off any of your uh, Castellans or the Necromancer's strikes, and uh, in particular your ability to take off fate with uh, the Necromancer's curse and the Merkwood Spirit is paralyzed, gives you these really cool options um, when approaching an opponent's army to chip off their fate points and put the fear of God into them, basically. <laughs> this One of the ways I like to play this list, and um, I've had some success with it, uh, some not success with it, it's, I'm, I'm still kind of trying to work out the kinks with it, mostly because I haven't played Dogglezor as nearly much as I, I, I should be playing them. But one of the one of the cool tricks I like to do is constantly put pressure with the Merkwood spiders on the enemy heroes. Just always go for the Hail Mary shots. Always try and create the opportunities to go for those Hail Mary shots. And use the Necromancer to constantly hit their fate. And then once their fate hits zero, then I start doing something tricky. I start reminding my opponent of Hey, look, look at all these Mogul blades I have. Look at this chill soul that my Necromancer has. Oh, you're, you're out of fate now. You're you're going to you're going to die without you being able to really do anything back, and it can change the way your opponents play. Now, if your opponent plays into this and and actually does try and protect their heroes a bit more, it can give you options and angles of attack that weren't there previously. And if you're able to leverage those uh, uh, opportunities, you can put serious pressure on your opponent 
and if you're lucky, create a, an opportunity where you're able to compel a model forward, get in with a single castle in, and just shank them with the Morgul Blade. And the amount of times I've seen Arch to single, you know, castle into the Doggle Door, walk up to a Fateless Hero, shank them, hit, get get that one wound in, and just drop them from almost full stats has, has been is been surprisingly more common than I thought it was going to be when I first started mucking around with the list. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 look, I agree. I, I think it, the army also has the ability to very much dictate how your opponent loses or uses the uh, their fate points as well. I mean, Curse will ideally get rid of fate very quickly if you're in a very tight spot and you need to do some damage quickly. Um, but if you are playing a slow game, a slow tempo, and you have spiders with you, you can you can essentially just sit back and, and throw web and throw web and throw web. And and in a way, you almost you almost you always love a good paralyze going off. But you almost want your opponent to try and spend the fake point to resist it, um, simply mm. so that they're using up their resources. And then you're like, okay, bang! I'm going to send in I'm going to send in my uh, keeper of the dungeon. I'm going I'm to chuck something. And, and cause some serious damage here. And I think where the it's very good that you mentioned. That. I think where the fate play comes comes in really effectively is where you're first in things. And this is look, this is niche, but I think it's very good against things that have the the horse lord special rule. Um, mm. Take taking away the the I guess their comfort and their their security net that their mount should be okay. If something goes wrong because you know you have nothing that can knock them down or, or take them off a horse. I think it, it's it's something that's overlooked. I mean, you got you got your you know an Elmer with three three fate. Suddenly having a, a channeled curse go off on on that, it's just it, it's something that can't be it can't be understated. Uh, I think it's I think it's definitely something that you should look at when you're playing this army. The ability to get rid of your opponent's fate very yeah. quickly and very effectively is incredible. Sorry, Carl. Yeah, no, no. I was just gonna kind of add add a bit more to that as well. You're right. The, the one thing I hadn't mentioned yet was the was the he- was the heroes on horses because not just the horse with heroes, but basically any hero on a horse doesn't want to get hit by a paralyzed because if they get hit by a paralyzed, they're gonna fall off their horse and be, lose their their horse that way. Just simply being paralyzed makes you lose a horse, and especially things like fell beasts. Uh, really, really don't want to get near you. And if you harass with the Necromancer, who has a, an astronomical amount of will, you mm. can even make enemy ring wraiths on fell beasts scared of coming near you. And I remember one game in particular, I was playing with this army and I was up against um, the Witch King of Angmar on fell beasts. It was kind of like the, the worst case scenario for the Witch King. He, he, flew, he flew into a spot where he was safe and then didn't realise that the spiders... To move ten inches, oh. moved up into range, got the one lucky hit, and then the witch king had to blow all of his might and fate to not lose his fell beast. And then the next turn, when he jumped forward trying to trying to get in and do some damage, he died to a single castellan who was just kind of sitting there chilling, going, "Well, you're fight five, I'm fight five. I'm going to survive any attacks that you that, that you're going to throw at me. Uh, goodbye. Here's one wound. You're dead." So yeah, yeah. Sp- speaking of the, like the Castellans, it's one of those situations you actually get the most out of because the the whole necromancer spider Castellan sort of triad uh, tactic in this sense is it's it's one of those situations where you can make the most of that forty five point Castellan 
Um, and sure, he's only going to do that one thing, but he'll do it really well. And at that point, because you have the Castellan around, you, you don't have to risk charging in your Necromancer and pulling him out from the back lines because you can have that Morgul play there and say, look, you got no fake. I can chuck a I can chuck a sneaky transfix or something off on you, and then that's it. Yeah, yeah, and, and one of the other things that I, I do think we haven't mentioned yet is kind of the defensive the defensive uses of Shroud of Shadows as well because it makes you untargetable uh, to everything except for a Wingwraith. You can protect uh, your Keeper of the Dungeons or your Merkwood Spiders or, or, or Key Models if they do get into a position where they're a bit vulnerable. You can just easily quickly. Pop the shroud of shadows, make them invisible, and make them untargetable by the you know the enemy nasty shooting or, or spell spellcasters, which can be helpful in a tricky situation if, if you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. You have a bit of a get out of jail free card there. Yeah, the, speaking of which, a really really good late game is a popping. Say it's oh, last turn. You think it's going to end this uh, this round because everyone someone's going to, you know you're going to end. Popping a Shroud of Shadows on a, on a spider or a mounted model and having them run out an objective where they could easily be shot at but no longer can't, that, that's, yeah, that, that's a very good one as well. All right, moving on. How, I mean, one thing we've touched with is obviously Necromancer and how he interacts. But I think something that's overlooked is is the heroes aren't the only part of this force, although they do dictate how this force runs. I think one big thing is you've actually got a huge versatility of troops. Um, first one I'll start off with is is probably the most interesting one, the the Merkwood Spider. I mean, we've already touched base that that, that Paralyze can waste your opponent's resources in terms of fate. It, it can easily dismount a, a heavily invested um, high points model such as a, a Nazgul on a Fell Beast. And, and I think the, the worth of the Merkwood Spider exponentially increases depending on how much your opponent's invested in staying mounted or how many points they've invested in in having a mount for their heroes. And I think the moment you see something like a, a dismount, paralyze, go off, it really changes the tempo for your opponent, how they play. It effectively limits their options because they're so used to being able to say, look, in XYZ turns, I can achieve XYZ much because I have a mount and I can travel this far and I can heroic combat off into this model and do do such and such a tactic. But the Workwood Spider, for me, well and truly, is the ultimate support infantry model, not only of this list but of the Dark Denizens list as well and, and potentially a couple other combinations, simply because that a Paralyze going off followed by any sort of, any sort of heroic combat... I'll be honest, I, I, it's find it pretty difficult to, to find a situation where that combination went off and I didn't kill a model. It, it's almost, in fact, I can't remember a situation where it didn't work. So I think in that sense, the spider is pretty good at ensuring the Necromancer A can get an assassin kill if you combine the two. Um, B, he can nullify enemy heroes. In that sense, it, it's... It's very much one of the most versatile, fast-moving troops in the game. Um, I, I think it's hard to find something that'll come to its points value, come close to its points value, that'll do just as much with that much hitting power and unlimited paralyze. And I think that's something that's it's it's very well undercosted for what you get. Um, other troops, whilst they can't be ignored, I mean, you've got you've got a combination of a couple of other things. I mean, you've got got. You've got bad orc warriors coming from your Azok Legion side of things. You've got your um, hunter orcs coming from your uh, Azok hunters kind of side of things. They actually work surprisingly well together 
with banner support. I mean, obviously we've talked about if, if Gundabad Orc Auras could have Pikes, it'd be fantastic, but having a single spear behind a Hunter Orc that's fainting or, or stabbing is, is quite deadly. You'll find that strength four behind all your Orcs, the possibility of having um, ancient enemies for Elves and Dwarves, which are, are still very common, there's a lot of damage output from just one Hunter Orc, one Gundabad Orc with spear, and a banner behind. And it's a 16-point combo for just those two minus the banner. It's it's something that has a lot of potential and even if especially if you couple it in with other horror combats but by itself it still does quite well there's just too many dice to ignore in a fight so even if you have just two models facing off against the equivalent two models on another list the chances the dice are in your favor you're probably going to get a six with three dice in the combat especially when you're having a banner there for the effective fourth attack the only thing I, w- I would argue against is be careful when you're heading into uh, heading into firing range of a say you know heavy shooting army, um, simply because it's a kind of front line that that does well in combat and excels in combat aggressively, but it doesn't want to stand idle too long. It really wants to get dug into what it's killing next and what object what objective it's going to grab. Um, the beautiful thing as well for the hunter orcs is you can put them at the front. Of your Gundabad Orc hero, um, heroes, your Gundabad Orc um, spearmen just behind, and you can even add a couple of bows onto the front of those orcs just to keep your opponent honest. If you see a cavalry, cavalry line charging at you, and you know oh, it's coming in one or two turns, it, it's just nice to know that there's a good chance with even with hunter orc shooting, you're probably going to get one or two of those horses dismounted, or even get a lucky shot and get a hero off its horse, and then you know it's a paralyzed. You can you can save for some other hero, or that's uh, less spells you have to cast and less will you have to use. <sighs> I will never understate um, orc shooting. Orc shooting can be amazing. I think adding a couple of bows into the front rank of hunter orc models can really keep your opponent honest, and it'll surprise you how often it, it, it kind of nerfs your opponent's ability to hit you hard fast. Oh, yeah, I agree 100% with that. I, I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times, I'm a big fan of the Orc Honesty Bow, basically taking, you know, half a dozen uh, Orc Bowmen just just to make sure that your your opponent can't just obnoxiously place their Aragorn on horse or their uh, Gilgalad or Alendil mounted or even their Gothmog or their whatever kind of mounted hero. They can't just place them up the front and just control space on the board. You, they have to drop a couple of ranks back or put some terrain between you and your archery. And like uh, like Andrea said, the, the amount of times I've seen games won and lost just because a sneaky archer or a sneaky couple of archers have taken a shot into combat, knocked out a hero's horse and prevented them from striking. I mean, hell, Andreas, it, it happened in our game and... I think that turned the tide in our game when we uh, played up in um, up in Brisbane. Uh, yeah, I think I remember. Was it, it was from you? Yeah, my, my throwing weapon, uh, my single throwing a, weapon. I had a Yasnik and a Fimble. I think Yasnik was charging to one of your standard Corsair Warriors um, and um, I had Fimble nearby waiting for some support in, in another bunch of Warriors. Um, I think the idea was, if I recall correctly, I was going to yo-yo Yasnik into Fimble, and Fimble was going to do some serious damage to, to a bunch of warriors he's charged into. But um, yet you <laughs> saw right through me, which uh, wasn't hard, I might add. <laughs> and um, you, you, oh, you're like, look, ooh, that 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 Corsair's that Corsair warrior's back is looking like a big old red target, and uh, you decided to take a pot shot 
um, with a throwing weapon right into my uh, or yeah my Yasnik uh, supposedly, and um, oh, as you as fate would have it, you fail to hit me, but you bang on target in the back of the head for the corsair, and he's gone, and then suddenly you've negated uh, you've negated what would have been a really powerful heroic yo-yo, and um, I, it just adds emphasis to the fact that evil shooting, particularly in a list where you got Orc, hunter orcs that can take lots of bows cannot be understated. It's yeah. it's always the little things that win you the game. Um, taking out a horse, putting a wound on the enemy leader just for a victory point, killing your own guy so it frees up uh, frees up some other possibilities or even cancels out other heroic actions. I, I think you always need to have a couple of bows, even if you're look. I would hesitate to say taking all Gundabad Orc Warriors as a frontline would be a good idea. It's not a bad idea if you're looking for that that really sturdy, high defense um, sort of format in your army. But I think having a couple of Hunter Orcs to get those two attack um, shenanigans and a couple of lucky pot shots maybe to change the game around really, really helps. Yeah, I agree with that. I take the, the, the Gundabads on their own quite a bit because I like that for a theme, but I definitely think taking the Hunter Orcs um, does does add to the army. It makes it makes it much better. It definitely uh, helps out. That that Hunter Orc uh, Hornblower is pretty handy, especially because my nemesis with this army is the Army of the Dead. I hate playing against the Army of the Dead of this army because I've got no Shaman. So that's really nice just to help me pass my Courage Test when I need to because nothing worse than, than having my whole flank fail their Courage Test while my other guys go in or they... they throw Aragorn in and nothing else. It can be be quite nasty. So that that's a good choice. The, the mixed arms is good. And you've got a good mixture of warriors. Yeah, it's it's got access to a lot of warriors that inherently will be from different lists. Um, but before we move on, I think one thing that, that's kind of over, not overlooked, but subconsciously looked at is one of the biggest strengths of this army list is that it can ally with a huge number of viable forces of similar themes. It is green allies with Azog's Legion um, as well as Azog's Hunters. And look, I think we'll go into it a little bit later on, but a couple of things straight off the bat that can really add to this list, such as, you know, having part of your Hunter Orcs come from, you know, Azog's Hunters, suddenly they're with four plus shoot rather than five plus shoot, or even potentially having some allies, allying some heroes or models in from Legion, you can you know, potentially bring in some war bats to get you some extra movement um, or even have a troll in there somewhere. It just it's, The list really opens up when you open the possibilities of, of allying with other forces. And I think it works well as a pure army list. It has a lot of heroes that are very versatile, has one of the best spellcasts in the game, it has a really good selection of troops. But I think the real strength is, is the fact that it can, it can take so many other options once you start allying with other, other forces in a, in a similar sort of theme. Speaking of that, while we're talking about allies, actually, there's one thing that, that I would like to mention at this point. There's a, a hero that we can ally in from the Wanderers of the Wild good side in the Hobbit book, and that's Three Ooh. in the Broken. For 10 points, you can ally him in if you have a Necromancer. It makes a green alliance with just the Dolgol door. And this is an interesting character in that you've got an independent hero who's a dwarf infantry, uh, move 5, fight 4, strength 2, rubbish, defense uh, 4, attacks 1, 
Wounds 2 is handy. Courage 4, 0 might, 0 will, 0 fate, and a dagger. But it's got the special rule for Shattered Spirit that at the start of every priority phase before rolling for priority, so you know what's going to happen, you take an unmodified courage test on courage 4, unmodified. If it's pass, you act normally. If you pass on a double, so if you're rolling, what's that, a double 3, a double 4, a double 5, a double 6, a pretty good chance of that. You mm. get 2 plus to your fight value, strength, and attacks until the end of the turn. This guy suddenly, if, you, if you're running at... At fight six, strength four, and three attacks. This guy's a nice nice little hero to to couple with the necromancer's abilities to ally in. So all that steeds of shadow, uh, shroud of shadows you talked about, all the transfixing, all the the powering up, having wandering around near some spiders just in case you get that that bonus fight value. Even just a fight four with the spiders are pretty nasty. So you can get some some good stuff. Uh, If it's fail, the opposing player controls strain, so that's a bit annoying, but. Yeah, that, that's that's not too bad. For 10 points, you get an interesting choice. Unfortunately, it just kills your alliance that you're just talking about, though. Yeah, no, no, the, no arguments there. It's, look, it's a kind of thing where uh, it's a kind of model you, you happily take into a game. But in, in competitive play, I would argue the merits of taking him over an extra wag, an extra orc, or even just equipping your hunter or captains or something a little bit better. Um, but he's definitely, he definitely adds to the fun factor of the list. I, I think on the odd occasion where he will roll a double for courage, which I believe he will do more often, actually, it's just seeing your opponent kind of think, oh, oh crap, maybe I actually have to address this issue just for this turn. You kind of change, <laughs> it, it won't happen too often, but you kind of change the game for them then and there, but just for that turn. And, and in a way, you kind of bought yourself another turn if you have a model that's suddenly fight six with with you know strength four and three attacks like it's not something that that i'm willing to invest in on a competitive sort of list but i think if if you have an extra 10 points and you don't have any gaping holes in 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 your list it is something that could be very fun to kind of play around with what one thing i would wouldn't do though is i i definitely wouldn't have him closer than closer than six inches to necromancer just in case he fails and uh and then someone charges into the necromancer yeah, five inches because of the um because of his movement. But you're absolutely right. You don't stab the necromancer. I feel like he's the kind of guy that gets a bodyguard of Gundabads with the shields, and just they walk around with him. They just unleash him when he's when he's fight six. So they they just hold him yeah, under guard. Yeah, they kind of just bottleneck him until then. Yeah, just keep him as a prisoner. And then when he's fight six and he's on your side, you just cool move a Gundabad out of the way, charge him in, and take charge him into a hero and and try and take them out with him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go as far as to say uh, he, he he's just a better cause. Can you repeat that, Andreas? You go he's as far. A, I'll go as far as to say he's uh, he's probably just a better Corsair Reef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair call. Yeah, he's a single one, but yeah, he's, he does a similar role, doesn't he? You keep him under lock and chain, and then just unleash him and just just have a laugh. And and if he dies, who cares? It's ten points. He, he looks really good on display board. I'll I'll add that. <laughs> true, very very true. But he stops you taking things like Fimble, which is uh, from a, t- a tournament point of view, pretty pretty harsh. Beautiful, Carly. Would you um would you like to elaborate on on anything we've gone so far? No, honestly, I feel we've we've pretty much talked about you know pretty much all there is to it. There's not much left uh, I I have to say if at all. Um, wow, that's that's I'm yeah, I know. I, I you know what I I kind of am shocked too that you've been so you both have been so comprehensive with uh, <laughs> this army list that that's I have word. nothing. No pearls of wisdom to uh, share in addition. Yeah. Um, I want to just talk about what annoys us. And I'm going to start here because sometimes um, 
like uh, but the majority of my warriors are fight three. So having a fight four wall is actually really annoying at times. Having a mass troops at fight four, I find difficult at times to deal with. Um, I, I've got ways around it, but that annoys me. What annoys me more is when people break through my lines and get into my necromancer, and then they essentially seize the initiative from me at that point. So I really don't like it when that happens. I like to to be in control. I like to be the, in the death ball formation where my army's roughly together. I don't like spreading out in a huge amount. And um, those kind of things can put me off. Those bodyguard fight for troops really annoy me. I want to get rid of the bodyguard as soon as possible. What about you, Andres? Ah, uh, look, yeah, uh, I, I agree. I mean, th- those things are definitely a bit of a bummer. Half the fun that is your terror causing shenanigans, and um, <sighs> nothing is more disappointing than receiving a charge from cavalry onto something like your Merkwood Spider. Um, or even just your hunter orcs, because chances are something something that's mounted is going to be higher fight, uh, especially something like you know Theoden's Death Legion, where everything's everything within twelve inches if they charge suddenly become uh, suddenly become fight four or fight five if they're royal guard, and, and suddenly you find that you can't match in fights um, as you would you know face to face on a normal normal upstanding um, fight. Um, look. One thing I'll find that this list does struggle against if you take the mixed arms approach, you're probably finding that shooting is actually going to be more of a problem than not. And I'm not talking necessarily siege weapon shooting, even though that can pose an issue. I think it's more your, you know, shooting heavy armies like your, like your um, Merkwood Rangers or even your uh, Rangers of Athelion. Uh, even Hobbits can pose a big issue <laughs> when it comes to this army, simply because you've got a lot of defense four and even some defense three when you look at your spiders in here. And copying a good round of shooting against this army can really, really put a damper on things and it forces you to act. So mm. I, I, I would well, say you have to be aggressive. You really have to be aggressive and avoid that shooting if you can. Yeah, Lothlorien is another list that this army doesn't like to fight against because the Sentinels really muck up your spiders. And uh, the the... The magic from Galadriel in particular is particularly potent against the uh, the, ne- the Necromancer and being able to lock, counter, almost counterspell him and lock him out of the game um, it can be very annoying to, to have to deal with a Galadriel, especially once she gets her blessing up and basically makes one of your heroes untargetable for the turn. Uh, it, can be, it can be a frustrating thing to have to deal with. Yeah, um, 100%. I think um, anything that includes terror-causing components really pose an issue for this list. Um, you're only buffed to Courage on this list, even if you're allying something green. Uh, I believe your only buff can be a Warhorn from the Hunter Orcs, which is it is a minor buff. It makes a huge difference across the board, but especially if you find something like Army of the Dead, where magic, unfortunately, there's no banish on the on the Necromancer, so Chill Soul's your best bet against trying to pick off some of those nastier high defense um, Warriors of the Dead or even war- uh, even the Heroes of the Dead. Um, I think it struggles very much when Heralds of the Dead are involved, especially with that bubble of resist magic. Um, it, mm. it basically struggles against any list that can cop several turns of magic and come out relatively unscathed. I mean, you've got Lost Lorien has resistant to magic all around, I believe, Kylie. Uh, yeah. You have, yeah, you've got the Heralds of the Dead at, at a buff zone, which is pretty nasty in itself. Um, especially considering they have already quite a large amount of will to play with. Um, things that can fortify spirit, ooh, this is a big one. Um, I find that if Gandalf or a similar model has the chance 
to um, channel a fortify spirit on himself or another big hero, a lot of spell casting goes out the window. Um, it, it's something you, you've got to look out for. Obviously, you can't avoid, but it, it definitely limits your options as to what the necromancer can do against that kind of that kind of play style. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a that's a very comprehensive overview of all the tactics for for the army. I think it's time to move on to some scenarios. Spotlight. There is one other thing, though. I think. Oh, we, damn we, you, Kylie. I, I know. I know. <laughs> Jumping in, I just had the moment. I realized we haven't really said it, but the kind of the, the best way to deal with this army list is put pressure on the necromancer. Like we've talked a lot about how the, how powerful the list is, and yes, the list revolves around the necromancer. But by the same principle. If you put pressure on him, constantly force him to make decisions he doesn't want to make, force him to use resources in ways he doesn't want to spend them, is the best way of shutting this list down. Like people get so caught up in the oh look the, the Nazgul are regenerating and they keep coming back all the time and oh how, how do I deal with the spells? It's get in his face, get get right up into him, get into combat with him, charge him. Even a couple of wounds, just chip damage from a couple of you know random warriors can be enough to slow him down and put him in a point where he'll either pop and disappear off the table or he becomes null and void because he's out of resources. Yeah, speaking of that as well, just before we move on, um, the Necromancer absolutely pet hates um, high fight cavalry with lances. If you can pull off a cavalry charge with lances onto the Necromancer win, that's a lot of will that's going down the drain, huge amount of will that's going down the drain. Yeah, because yeah. he's, uh, he's infantry, isn't he? So you get the knockdown against he him. Is, yep, you get the knockdown. Uh, he can be knocked down by any sort of normal cavalry. He's not a monster. Um, he could be banished, which is nasty as other spellcasters. But yeah, definitely lances. If you can get a hero in there with high fire and knock him down, it, it's it's bad news all around. I, I, yeah. I would say at that point, you almost consider shaking hands, but that'd be bad sports. And we're not about that. No, 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 no. You keep playing it out because you've got a chance. But, yeah, if you let that happen, you're in a lot of trouble. So don't let that happen. Yeah, definitely. Multiple <laughs> heroes too. If, if you've got uh, a large array of heroes, like, say, for instance, <coughs> three Hasherans and a couple of captains, they'll have a good crack at him because, yes, the Necromancer can lock down a hero, but he can only lock down one a turn. The others will slip through the net and get into him, which is why you need support from, you know, your Gundabad, your Hunter Orcs and secondary heroes like the Nazgul to help shield him from a spam of heroes. I, I can confirm this with uh, great sadness. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, okay. Are we allowed to move on to Scenario Spotlight now? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay. We'll just keep, I'll keep going because um, the Scenario Spotlight is not going to be huge. It's just the fall of the Necromancer. I'll read through it. Um, we'll talk about it. Uh, Kyle, you've played it, haven't you? Yes. Yes, of course. Yep. And it was one that was super easy for the evil side, so that's all good. <laughs> okay. The Fall of the Necromancer for Scenario Spotlight. Uh, this one is laid out on a two-by-two two board, which is my favorite size of board because you can fit it on any table, and it's very compact action. Your participants are going to be Gandalf the Grey, which is unfortunately Gandalf the Grey that's been almost dying, uh, Saruman the White, Radagast the Brown on Slave, so a nice big model on a two-by-two two board, and Gladriel the Lady of Light, as well as Elrond the master of Rivendell. So you've got some really powerful heroes here against the Necromancer, all nine Nazgul of Dol Guldur, and the Keeper of the Dungeon. So like my thousand point list that I've been talking about before and after this one, I would guess. 
heaps of special rules for this one. You lay out Gandalf on the center of the board, so the evil player then deploys a keeper of dungeons within three inches of Gandalf. Now, the thing is that Gandalf's dying, so he starts with no might, will, or the staff of power, and he's under the effects of a paralyzed magic power. So if he gets charged by the keeper of the dungeons, he's in trouble, but he's a heavy object. So then the good player deploys Galadriel, touching any base edge, and all other models are kept aside later. So you've got Galadriel basically ready to, to go and take on the Keeper of Dungeons. You place the Dungeons first within three inches, Keeper of Dungeons, and then Galadriel's basically going to go run on. The White Council are trying to save Gandalf, so they're going to banish Sauron as well. They've got a tough objectives. They need to uh, rescue Gandalf by moving him off any board edge and banish the Necromancer. Well, the evil player just has to slay three members of the White Council, and there's a lot of them to slay. Any other result is a draw. Good luck with that one. Uh, so here's all the special rules. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. So get your get your notepad out. No, just get the book. Just from the Hobbit book, uh, page one fifty. So uh, Galadriel can target the keeper of the dungeons with a banished magic power, as if she was uh, as if it were a spirit model. Probably a good thing to do. Uh, nine for the model men doomed to die. As soon as the keeper of dungeons is slain, place all nine Nazgul of Dol Guldur on the board at least six inches away from any good model. At least six inches away from any good model. So that's that's a little bit nasty there is one that's going to go and of course jump and be really annoying um, are you in need of assistance good player can choose to have Sauron and Alrod enter the board at the end of any good move phase after the first turn so any good move phase after the first turn in the turn they arrive Sauron and Alrod may use up to two magic powers these may even be the same magical power twice if you prefer which they probably will quite frankly and Radagast to the rescue the good player may choose to have Radagast arrive at the end of any move phase <laughs> Scenario Spotlight. The Fall of the Necromancer Having ventured into the dark, ruined walls of Dol Guldur, Gandalf has uncovered the truth as to what dwells within. For lurking deep inside the seemingly forgotten fortress is none other than Sauron, the enemy of the free peoples of Middle-earth. Upon confronting this terrible foe, Gandalf has been captured and is now at the mercy of the monstrous Keeper of the Dungeons, who relishes the opportunity to torture and maim the Grey Wizard. Yet help is at hand, for Radagast the Brown has been true to his word and brought news of Gandalf's predicament to the Lady Galadriel, perhaps the one being in Middle-earth that Sauron fears. The Lady of Light ventures to Dol Guldur to deliver Gandalf from the terrible fate that may await him, and she does not come alone. The remaining members of the White Council also join their lady in the fight against this ancient foe now returned. The White Wizard Saruman uses his mastery of magical power and unrivaled knowledge of the enemy to combat the servants of the Dark Lord. Alrond, the master of Rivendell, draws his blade and heads into the swirling melee of steel and ghostly weaponry, his sword clashing with those of the enemy in a desperate battle of speed and martial prowess. Even the absent-minded Radagast assists the Council by providing Gandalf with a means to escape on his rabbit-led sleigh. However, it will take every ounce of power and skill this collection of mighty heroes possess to defeat the darkness and stop Sauron from returning to Middle-earth. The 
for the Necromancer for Scenario Spotlight. Uh, this one is laid out on a 2x2 two two board, which is my favorite size of board because you can fit it on any table and it's very compact action. Your participants are going to be Gandalf the Grey, which is unfortunately Gandalf the Grey that's been almost dying. Uh, Saruman the White, Radagast the Brown on Slave, so a nice big model on a 2x2 two two board, and Gladril the Lady of Light, as well as Elrond the Master of Rivendell. So you've got some really powerful heroes here against the Necromancer, all nine Nazgul of Dol Guldur and the Keeper of the Dungeon. So like my thousand point list that I've been talking about before and after this one, I would guess. Heaps of special rules for this one. You lay out Gandalf on the center of the board. So the evil player then deploys a Keeper of Dungeons within three inches of Gandalf. Now the thing is that Gandalf's dying. So he starts with no might, will, or the Staff of Power. And he's under the effects of a paralyzed magic power. So if he gets charged by the Keeper of the Dungeons, he's in trouble. But he's a heavy object. So then the good player deploys Galadriel, touching any base edge, and all other models are kept aside later. So you've got Galadriel basically ready to, to go and take on the Keeper of Dungeons. You place the Dungeons first within three inches, Keeper of Dungeons, and then Galadriel's basically going to go run on. The White Council are trying to save Gandalf, so they're going to banish Sauron as well. They've got a tough objectives. They need to uh, rescue Gandalf by moving him off any board edge and banish the Necromancer, while the evil player just has to slay three members of the White Council, and there's a lot of them to slay. Any other result is a draw. Good luck with that one. Uh, so here's all the special rules. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. So get, your, get your notepad out. No, just get the book. Just from the Hobbit book, uh, page 150. So uh, Galadriel can target the Keeper of the Dungeons with a banished magic power as if, she was, uh, as if it were a spirit model. Probably a good thing to do. Uh, nine for the model men doomed to die. As soon as the Keeper of Dungeons is slain, place all nine Nazgul of Dol Guldur on the board at least six inches away from any good model. At least six inches away from any good model. So that's that's a little bit nasty. There is one that's going to go and, of course, jump and be really annoying. Um, are you in need of assistance? Good player can choose to have Sauron and Alrod enter the board at the end of any good move phase after the first turn. So any good move phase after the first turn. In the turn they arrive, Sauron and Alrod may use up to two magic powers. These may even be the same magical power twice if you prefer, which they probably will, quite frankly. And Radagast to the rescue. The good player may choose to have Radagast arrive at the end of any move phase after Sauron and Alrod have arrived. Gandalf may be loaded into Radagast's sleigh, at which point he counts as a passenger. And then Sauron's return. At the end of the ninth game turn, the evil player places the Necromancer touching any board edge. So at the ninth turn, the Necromancer shows up, which means the Nazgul don't get their resurrection rolls until the ninth turn. But once you do that, they have to go and kill the Necromancer, take down all 25 as well, which is a, a tough ask. So it's, it's scary from the good side from the start. You've got the Keeper of the Dungeons taking on Gandalf and then Gladriel touching any board edge. So she's going to be walking up with a banish straight away to try and try and do a wound, maybe. Uh, what other spells does Gladriel have? She doesn't have anything else, does she? She has Fortify Spirit. Yeah, so that's 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 a good spell, but you're not going to use it. You're going to go for the, the banishment straight away. You're going to walk up um, the turn two. So Gandalf has to survive a turn, which he probably will with his, with his rings. So he'll survive a turn because uh, he's got all his fate and he's got all his wounds. So he'll survive a turn. He'll fight the, the, Necro- the Keeper of the Dungeons. Galadriel will try and chip a wound off the Keeper of the Dungeons early on or take down some of his will. Then the other wizards, uh, Saruman and Elrond, will show up. But the problem is, when Nye and Nazgul show up, you want to get into combat with the, the good guys as soon as possible. You've got the one jumpy Nazgul to get close. So you start off outside six inches, he jumps into six inches, and then you just call heroic moves. And you've got so much more might that... You're going to call the heroic moves. You're going to get in combat. The good side's going to have to try and take you on because it has to use its spells. It can't have Saruman and Galadriel and Radagast 
not casting spells. Like that's that's a death sentence for them. They don't do anything on the turns. They don't cast spells, so they have to win those heroic roll-offs. They're going to spend all their might calling heroic moves, and then once the necromancer shows up, they're going to be out of might, and then he's going to do whatever he likes. Is that your experience, Kylie? Yeah, 100%. It's so tilted into the evil side's favor. It's it's honestly, it's not funny. Uh, we've <laughs> tried this scenario multiple times, like make giving, you know, from, from having Gandalf have all these stats to giving him the sword, and pretty much every time we've played it, it has ended in the evil winning uh, in some way, shape, or for- form, and Honestly, it's a bit disappointing, especially because the last version of this scenario uh, from the old Shadow—is uh, it not? Sh- is it Shadow and Flame? Yeah, Shadow. No, I think it's um. No, uh, Fall. No, it was Fall of the Necromancer. This yeah, was, it was called Fall of the Necromancer, and that scenario was absolutely gangbusters. You had so much stuff going on. You had a lot of really cool models, you know, interacting with each other with with really cool special rules and. This it, it it tried so hard t- to get to that kind of level where the old scenario was at, and it missed it by a mile. Yeah, it's it, it's the idea is right, like it's going in sequence. But I feel like there's got to be some mechanic where either the the Nazgul can't call heroic moves, or maybe the Nazgul come on like not all at once. They just come on sort of as the turns go on. They build up, and and you want it to keep coming back because it's. It is not too bad to put them down. If you cast magic to take them out and they don't have the one plus resurrection, they're not always coming back. But it, it's it's frustrating because you kill a few of them with a the good side, but it's not enough. And even two and the Naz, and the, the necromancers is enough to take down those heroes, especially once they're out of might. They just they botch yeah. the combats too often. It's too many of them have one attack, so they'll get taken out. It's it's a tough tough one, and you've still got to have models to move Gandalf off the board and kill the necromancer. It's just. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you're trying to put Gandalf on Radagast Slay, but th- th- you never uh, get to move yeah. them. I would say yeah. the Slay is probably the best component the good side has in this list, but it, come, it comes too little too late. Uh, I mean, they, they should be effectively starting the game on board, otherwise it, it's just way too skewed otherwise. Yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I think it needs a lot of work. The idea is right. It's a really cool-looking board. It's really cool participants. I definitely think it's worth having a go at it. I don't know the answer. We've tried a few things, and it hasn't quite worked out how we want. I think it needs, hopefully, a rewrite for the next time the Hobbit books come out, because we know that we haven't got a Hobbit source book yet. We know that there's still stuff coming out from the old There and Back Again supplement from the last edition. Um, I'm hoping it gets a, a relook at some point, because it, the idea is right, but the, Necrom- the Nazgul shouldn't effortlessly kill. Like, we've won this scenario, Kylie, haven't we, where the Nazgul didn't even need the Necromancer. They've won before the Necromancer's even shown up. Yeah. Yeah, that happened a couple of times, actually. And it's it, it's to do with, it's mostly to do with the fact, like, we've talked at length about this, Jeremy, um, kind of in private, but when, when you're kind of writing a scenario like this or you have a scenario that's set up like this, for every one attack kind of hero you have in, in your list, you need... Uh, at least three other multi-attack heroes, and they just don't have it on the good side of this. They just don't. They just don't have the the raw numbers to be able to go up against the, the these uh, ring ranks and actually fend them off and beat them back because they just don't have the stats. They they don't have the attacks. They don't have the might. And the only one that can really reliably win combats and deal damage is an Elrond, and you've only got one of him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's he's brutal to the rapes as well because he's got the elven blade. But 
yeah, he's he's not too hard to put down. And the problem is that oftentimes his heroes are taking on two or three wraiths at the same time. So they botch as many combats as they win and they can't afford to, to call heroic strikes or anything like that because they might so valuable. It, it's really tough. I would argue in this scenario it would have been suitable to have a the, the blade. I think it's blade mistress like like Tauriel has, where if they're engaged with more than one, you know, the good guys essentially get a, an extra attack or something like that would make it a bit more balanced. Uh, especially when especially when you're looking at it specifically as a as a scenario for this one scene, but there's just mathematically there's just not enough attacks for the good side to win anything. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's that's actually not a bad way to do that. That might be worth trying next time as well, just to mm. to give them some fighting Cause, potential because it's the it, wraiths just can't scare them. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, one wraith against one of those heroes is really interesting fight, but the moment you get two or three wraiths in there, it suddenly becomes very one sided. So I think if if there were a rule that would you know similarly have that extra attack, I think it'd just make it more interesting. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think there's, some, there's there's a lot of things we could try with that one. I think it's worth trying because if, if you have that collection of models, which you probably do if you if you've, you're really keen on Dolgaldor, because you've probably got the wraiths, and if you've got the wraiths, then it's not that much effort to get some Alrons and Gandalfs and all these sort of heroes. Even if you get the different models, not the Hobbit models, it's it's definitely worth playing around with and, and making it work, because I feel like it's it's a really cool premise. There's not a lot of necromancer scenarios around uh, currently. There was was in the old days, but for the, the latest edition, it would be worth making it work, and hopefully hopefully the Games Workshop team have a go at it as well and, and really... Mustering an up. Okay, Andreas, what is your first list? What points value have you gone for? Um, I've gone for my first list. I've actually gone for a 600-point value. I tried... Oh, sorry, you died out. Can you start again? Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Yep, beautiful. Um, I've got a 600-point list in for my first um, makeshift list, and I've, tr- I've tried to do something a little bit different. I'm trying to make lists that all incorporate some kind of alliance within that that three green allies that the Dark Powers of Dolgaldor do have. So for the first list, I've actually gone for... Um... Oh, no, I messed up. These guys aren't green allies. <laughs> okay, sorry, give me a sec, Jeremy. Which list uh, was that? No, no, this is... Um, Jeremy asked me to make a spiders and necromancer list. Uh, so I'll start that again. Right. So, my, so my first list, I've actually opted for something a little bit different. To I wanted to opt for something that focused a little bit more on on this kind of the, the presence of, of dark beasts and spiders just before Dolgaldor was reclaimed in the movies. So what I've gone for is a 600-point list where, obviously, Necromancer Dolgaldor's at the forefront. He's my leader, my hero of legend. Uh, and he's got with got with him four Mirkwood spiders and five Felwags. Now, here's the thing I've done, and I can see this being <laughs> very unpopular in a moment with Jeremy especially. I've yellow allianced the Spider Queen from the Dark Denizens of Mirkwood as a hero of Valor with four giant spiders and one bat swarm. Give me a total of exactly 600 points, 16 models, everything in the army minus the Wag cause terror, everything in the army minus the, minus the Necromancer moves at least 10 inches, 
and there is a lot of paralyze, a lot of paralyze, a lot of reroll into there. So, um, please, what are your thoughts? How many milkwood spiders was it? So four milkwood spiders and four giant spiders. So I wanted to keep, yep. I wanted to keep spiders the predominant theme. There's only five fell wild bat swarm, so it's mostly spiders all around. Yeah, and then you've got the potential three other spiders if you want to get the broodlings out as well. For oh, six... yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. So 600 points, I actually, I don't mind this. Um, I, uh, you, we know that, that you lose the extra casting spell for the Necromancer, which is brutal because it's just such a good one. And sometimes I don't like that, that army bonus is so good because it discourages cool themes like this. Like, I really like the theme for it. I think in terms of a spider list... Adding a necromancer to a spider list is probably a pretty good idea because it does synergize really, really well with the spiders. Spider Queen's always formidable. It's it's a nasty model to play against, and it's got it's got like the strike. It's it's um the, you've got some weaknesses in this army. I like it overall. I think it's one that's potentially very, very strong, but also has some interest to play against. You're all on big bases, which can be a bit of a pain, but then you can deal with that with the paralyze and and even just the necromancer chill soul, even if you're spending will on it early on in the six hundred point game can really put some pressure on when an important model is just just losing it. Um you, when you do that silly engage that you do where you charge all the models around so the banner's the only one's not engaged and then you walk up with the necromancer and chill soul it. Yeah, it's, it's got some fun to it. Well the, that's the thing, I a hundred percent agree. I, I think Look, it was definitely a tough list to write at 600 points when, when you consider that most of the models are at least, barring the Felwags, are at least 20 points each. Um, I think model count was a big issue. I spent about half an hour trying to think of something that would have 20-plus models with the Necromancer at 600 points. But just when it came to having the spiders in the list, it, it just wasn't looking too viable. But I think it does have some good tricks. You've got a lot of spells. You've got a lot of terror. You have a lot of paralyze and... You've also got Fell Sight, which is quite understated for those objective-grabbing games as well. Um, but I think a cheeky one is is the almost budget Shroud of Shadows, uh, channel mm. Shroud of Shadows from the Bat Swarm, <laughs> uh, which is nice. So you can have that in combination with the Spider Queen, Shroud of Shadows, and the Necromancer, and I, I think any kind of hero will be kind of nerfed after that. Or even just, just a Transfix slash Bat Swarm, like Transfix a model, throw a Bat Swarm in, and suddenly... Even the generic spiders, those giant spiders, are really lethal to it. So, well, that's it. Yeah, yeah, you got some hitting power in that army. I, I don't. I, don't I think it. it. I think it's a good tag team from the Necromancer and the Spider Queen as well. I, I think at that points level, there's not much they couldn't take on, especially when she's rerolling all two wounds, um, and, and his hitting power when he does get in combat is pretty good as well. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. I actually might want to give that a try. Kylie, have any thoughts on that one? I like it. It's a kite. It's 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 a it's an army that hits like a truck, but kites before it gets there. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of funky in that regard. I, I do like the you know running around paralyzing, and then when enough stuff is paralyzed or a key model is paralyzed on the ground, you go and hit them, hit them with the you know the spider queen and the spiders head on, and and watch them basically you know crumple under the the sheer weight of you know spider ownage so uh, I, I like it i actually really like it even just the, the sneaky compelling a model from the necromancer moving it towards your spiders and then hitting it with spiders and the bat swarm is oh, there's some real potential to this army you can play it like like almost those kiting wood elf armies you can go run in the flank and hit really hard and uh you don't have I, I a just, huge amount of might you can even be right. sneaky with the necromancer and just just throw uh one dice chill souls every turn and hope to chip off some wounds in that regard too I think it's really easy in um in this this sort of format to get um you can almost play like a cavalry army 
and get traps early on in the game because you just want to swarm around each flank and kind of hope to envelop and even even potentially having the necromancer get in real close towards the front in the middle and kind of just enclosing everything in and, and hoping the traps and, and any sort of nasty sort of layouts and positioning will really be to your advantage. I think the problem with it is that it's hard to get to the opponent unscathed. There's a lot of low mm. defense, a lot of defense three or four. I think, yeah, I think defense four is the highest other than the necromancer. So unless you get into that combat real quickly and then skirting around and getting some traps, it's it's going to be a fun list to play with, but definitely a challenging one. I think it's a classic necromancer list where you've got to find a way to get rid of the heroes ASAP because the heroes will be able to take down one of your spiders a turn. So you need to really just take them down, mitigate them, whether it's transfixing them, whether it's draining their courage so they can't charge, whether it's assassinating them, take them down early. And then like your beast against basic troops is not going to end well for the troops. So if you get to that point, you're in, you're in a good, good place. Okay, we're going to move on to my one. I've gone for a very small version of this army. Uh, 400 points. I really like this 400-point level. It works really well for, for fun little quick singles games, but it also works well as a, as a potential partner for a doubles game. So 400 points I've gone for. Now, at 400 points, I couldn't justify the Necromancer at this point. Well, I chose not to, actually. Now... Similar to Andreas, I'm taking out some of the strength of this army. The strength of this army is the Necromancer. So instead, I've gone for uh, a mixed-arms infantry force with the Keeper of the Dungeons leading a Gundabad Orc Warrior with Banner, Spear, Shield, and 12 Gundabad Orcs with Spear and Shield. So I've got 13 Gundabad Orcs with Spear and Shield. One of them has a Banner led by the Keeper of Dungeons. Nice little combat force. With then two Merkwood Spiders to back them up and honestly sit behind the lines. I don't want these Spiders to, to disappear too much. They're, my, they're too valuable to, to lose and risk but they can go and encourage the enemy to come at this this wall of Gundabads. And in Warband 2, I've gone for the Hunters. So I've gone for this mixed arms that I, I may have mentioned earlier in the episode that, that can be tricky to play, but I'm up for a challenge here. I've gone for a Hunter or Captain on foot, so then I get the three attacks. Just another hard hitter with the march as well if I need it. I've gone for 500 Orcs with the just the, the weapons and 500 Orcs with Orc Bow Kylie's honesty orcs, they're going to basically go and, and choose a, a hero on horse to shoot at and hopefully take the horse down and just, just keep them honest. But it's a good amount of models. So I've gone for, what's that, 27 models in a 400-point army is is actually quite a lot. A lot of orcs. These are very bargain. And I like the Keeper of Dungeons as a leader because I can swap it out for any wraith that I want from this list as well. So if I want to add some variety, I've got lots of choice here. I can swap them out for a Witch King. I can put in like the Lingering Shadow if I want to be really sneaky. I could put in like uh, the what's the one of the spear again? Um, I can't remember. For, Forsaken. Forsaken, yeah. If I just want to hit or one of the, the Slayers of Men and, and play around with the army and have, have a nice little force. Um, it's led by a Valor Hero, which is nice, so I can ally it with with whatever I want. I actually don't care if I ally even with red allies at this point because I've given up my best army bonus, so who cares about the army bonus at this point? I think it'd be fun as a little um, ally force for, for points. It'd be fun in 400-point games. Jeremy, how, how many models did you have in the... Um... In the Keeper of the Dungeons uh, Warband again? Oh, no. Have I done something wrong? I've got 15. He's a Fortitude Hero. Is he? No, surely not. Surely not. He is, yeah. Oh, it's, okay. It's really disappointing. I know. Okay. Swap out the Keeper of Dungeons for a Witch King then. <laughs> Done. New list. Done. I was listening to it and I thought, that's a really good list. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Because, I yeah, I think in the um in one of the, the spreadsheets I use, he's, he's Valor. So... Oh, that's that's a shame. What a shame. It is a bit of a bummer, yeah. Okay, swap out the Keeper of the Dungeons 
And I've got I'll go the Witch King as my my starting one, and I think that's yeah. that's still a fun option. He, he's um, a good substitute with the extra might. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Same amount of might, similar hitting power, potentially can tank for a turn or two. But I, I like to be in this kind of list, um, opportunistic with the Witch King. I'll, I'll pick my targets and and be a little bit conservative with him. I don't want to just yeah. throw him as a tank because if I lose you him cheaply, yeah, he's the you leader. Can't throw him in with, the, with without the plus one bonus for the resurrection. Yeah, so I'm I'm almost assuming the resurrection's not going to happen, and I'll play him like a like a fragile hero and be opportunistic and and go into fights that I've got a good chance of winning. And then if I do die, I've got the bonus and I might come back. I probably will, but I might. Oh, what a pain! Not a fortitude hero. That's a really annoying one. Now look, I mean, all in all, the list is still pretty. It gets sturdy. It's got some good hitting power. I think potentially it'll be on the slower side of forces that you're seeing out there at the moment. Um, but it can definitely take a beating and dish it back out quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it's got enough orcs that you can, you can do what you want to do with it. So it's got a march in there, 400 points. What can you do at 400 points? You've got a horde of orcs, you've got cheap hero. I reckon it, it's, it's okay. It's, it's definitely a larger, definitely a largest force that you'd find around that points value. Um, if you're looking at, I think CanCon was also similar, 400 points or 450 thereabouts. You found that there'd be models probably around the twenty mark um, yeah. for whole armies, and and this is a definite. You can get you can you can definitely overextend yourself a little bit with this kind of list, which I think is good, especially when you've got such a such a versatile hero that even though you don't plan to play him as a you know as a resurrection, has the capacity to return quite well. Yeah, you could actually use him as a yeah, it's like an ejected grabber if you really had to. All the all the stuff we talked about with Raves is not a bad one. Kylie, what's your first list? Alright, so you guys have come up with some, you know, kind of fun, quirky but so I'm gonna go into a straight up list that you could use in a tournament. So I've got an eight hundred point list for you guys today. Oof. In Warband number one, we have the Necromancer of Dolgodor with the big 18 models in his Warband. He has eight Gundabad Orcs with Shield and Spear, six Gundabad Orcs with Shield, one Gundabad Orc with Banner, Shield and Spear, and three Mirkwood Spiders. Remember how I always talk about that rule of three? That's going to come up a bit later as well. In Warband number two, we have the Keeper of the Dungeons. He has three Hunter Orcs with Orc, Bow, and Falwog. Again, our Honesty Orcs and Rule of Three, three, three Orcs on Wag. And he also has six Gundabad Orc Warriors with Shield and Spear. And finally, in Warband number three, four, and five, we have a Castellan of Dolgador with Morgul Blade. Grand total of 32 models. Ooh. Ooh yeah. Wow. Jeremy, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you talked about your Castellans, and and Andreas and I are not the biggest fan of Castellans, but I think having the three of them is pretty handy. Um, I would love to get a march in there somewhere. I don't think you've got a march in that army, so that that's probably my biggest concern. Um, so maybe if it's a Castellan for a hunter or captain or something like that, or a, a captain, but it's it's a good solid list. You've got heaps of Gundabads in there, so you've got a really solid wall. You've got. Three spiders is probably enough. Once again, I like to have more spiders, but three spiders is good and threatening. The hunter orcs on Falwag are a nice harassment force. They're, they're good to team up with the spiders. They're good for objectives. Keeper of the Dungeon's a good hero. Um, pretty reliable hero as well. I think you've got a, a good list there. Uh, yeah, I, I think the main thing you've got issue with is, is speed if you have to move fast. No, 100%. That's, that's part of the reason why I've got the three hunter orcs on Falwag mm. and the three spiders. They can get to somewhere in a hurry if they need to. 
And uh, in, in scenarios like Seed Surprise, uh, we've talked about it before, if you know you're going to be playing that that particular scenario, then obviously you're going to you do something like drop the Keeper of the Dungeons, put in a Captain, and uh, maybe add in an extra Spider or something like that. But it, there's some flexible options in there, but I do love my Castellans. They, they kind of turn your shield wall into a bit of a pseudo 5-5 shield wall in, in that you basically... Sprinkle in your castellans in amongst your Gundabad orcs, and uh, they'll they'll break even pretty well against uh, enemy shield walls for sure. Yeah, yeah, fair uh, enough. I, I would um I would argue that I, I know I'm not overly fond of the castellans, but having the trio would make the absolute pinnacle bodyguard unit for the necromancer. I, I think having them there really. Your your opponent doesn't even consider charging the necromancer at that point. I think unless they have something, not even a Gilgalad, for instance, would would want to comfortably charge into that many Gundabad. Uh, sorry, Gundabads, um, Castellans, and hope to come out alive. Especially considering they all have more. It's just that that five point difference for all three of them is the real real deterrent for me here. I would not want to be doing anything to that necromancer whilst they're around. I think, I think like Jeremy mm. covered, there's there's definitely the element that. You haven't got a lot of speed. You've got no march, and yeah, you've got some spiders, but I think the spiders generally want to be doing some heavy targeting. They don't want to have to run around too much um, unless they're chasing something they know they can kill. They otherwise want to be trying to, to like, you know, paralyze things and knock them off a horse or or support a, a hero getting into a big fight. I, I do like it. Um, I feel like you could squeeze in a four spider there simply because I find that if one spider dies, you've still got a pretty good chance of getting some paralyzers off. Yeah, you could definitely drop uh, two of the Hunter Rocks, or honestly, one of the Hunter Rocks on uh, on Wag and get a spider in there if you, if you drop some spears and shields somewhere, which mm. you can totally do. This is more of just kind of a solid starting point, and you, know, you, you can tinker as much as you like from here and... As I talked about earlier with the fate manipulation, that's basically what this army is designed to do. You've got your three Castellans, your three Spiders, and your Necromancer, and they're just going to play havoc with your opponent's might and fate throughout the game. And basically you you, you go from there and try and find a, a way of getting through. Plus yeah. this army has no fear of, you know, Mumakil or Smaug or Balrogs. They, they don't care about those models either. That's oh, true, yeah. All. Especially the Castellans, it's actually quite good. Oh yeah, yeah. it's gonna to love to take on a Smaug. Well, the Necromancer doesn't care about Smaug anyway, generally. But yeah, this is this is a pretty good combination for that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, fair this enough. Is definitely, you... uh, Gulliver, I think, would struggle against this kind of list. Oh, this list would hate Gulliver. Wait, which way around? Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I said that backwards. Uh, Gulliver would hate this kind of list because it's got a spellcaster that can hurt him, paralyze. And, uh, Paralyze and Morgul Blades. Yeah, no. Yeah. My, my, like, oh, the problem is Gulliver. Yeah. Like, Gulliver can't come in close. Otherwise, there's three Castellans. Can't stay far away. Otherwise, the ne- And can't charge normal troops. Otherwise, the Necrobrances. It's just... Wow. It's actually... <laughs> is this a direct counter so no one plays your list? <laughs> uh, honestly, this would probably be the, the, the best you could get at a direct counter to Gulliver. Yeah, it's like, oh, Wow. Yeah. It's it's almost it reminds of the old Angmar list, you know, the the death ball where if you keep it all together within like six inches of each other, there's not a lot that can crack it because it's just so so tough. 
But if you have to spread out, I have concerns because once the, the Gundabad orcs and the Hunter orcs and everything else spreads out, I think you you can potentially be picked off. But if you can keep them all together and all behind that wall of Castellans with all the support, the Gundabads and the Necromancer just doing Necromancer things, you can have so much tempo in this, this one because it's going to take so long for them to crack the army. Your Necromancer is going to have, can, can spread out the will over many, many, many turns and do all kinds of annoying things, can curse people, can chill soul, can transfix, can oh, just so many things. And those Castellans are going to take a long time to get get through i'm gonna i would agree with that 100 just with the exception that the rest of the army can support and protect the necromancer very well even if the castellans kind of wandered off in a trio of three and p- potentially took something out quite big yeah true true hmm. yeah, yeah you can definitely sacrifice the castellans they if they die they die but they're, they're, they they have to be you can't avoid three of them one you can avoid three yeah, you, they're no longer avoidable. It's my, yeah. rules of, my rule of three, man. Oh, <laughs> I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. It works, and it works for a reason. We would get to a thousand, yeah, absolutely. Andreas, your second list. Uh, yes, I've gone for another alliance. So everything I've tried is going to be trying different alliance. So for this one, um, this one's actually very familiar. I think a lot of you would have seen it because this is the main kind of list I've been running um, for the last couple of tournaments that have been around 750, 750 points. Um, but with one big difference. So I don't know if you guys will like this, but it has no Mirkwood spiders. None at all. Ooh. Brave. <laughs> hold, hold, your breath. <laughs> hold your breath. There's two variances. One includes Mirkwood spiders. One does Now, Warband 1, I've got the Necromancer of Dolgal Door with 10 fell wargs. Warband 2, allied in. The rest is allied in with Asox Hunters. So Warband 2, Yaznik with fell warg and Lance. He's got four hunter orcs with orc bows, two hunter orcs, nothing, two hunter orcs with two-handed weapons, and one hunter orc with orc bow and banner. And I find the banner's really important to have with hunter orcs. Um, Warband three, I've got Fimble the hunter with Felwag, and I've got four orcs with bows, four without. Then Warband four, I've got Nazag on Felwag with four orcs with bows and four orcs without. So it's all up. With with the with the fell wags instead of the Mirkwood spiders, it's thirty nine models. Um, with the Mirkwood spiders, I believe it's thirty three or thereabouts. Um, but I mean, shoot, guys, what do you, what do you think? I mean, this is a, this is the list I've taken for the last year. I came third at Clash and it came third at Arda, um, yeah, Arda Unleashed. So I think it is formidable. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, it's it's good. Like those those heroes. A good hero, so the ones you mentioned there. Yaznegs, a, a hitter. He's probably probably the the least useful of those. Fimble's just fantastic. Fimble's phenomenal. Like fight five and move through the terrain is so so good with all the sort of hunter orc package that you get. Uh, what was the other one you had? Uh, yeah. Nazag. Nazag. Oh, so yeah. so he's he's great if you want to stand back because you've got a good amount of bows in that army. So being able to sort of really threaten something with bow, but he also hits pretty hard because he's on a wag. You got the foul wags to go with your heroes if you want to, which is really good. Uh, you can play death ball if you want with all those hunter orcs. Is one banner enough? Have you found that enough? Um, yeah, I found it enough. They're generally because I, there's so much so much might on the board. There's so many smaller heroes to deal with. The banner often goes unnoticed unless it's unless it's specifically just that banner scenario. Um, I, I find that. He's almost a non-factor. He's there because most scenarios dictate that they, you know, it's good to have a banner or the fact that you might want him near your heroes, but 
He's not really often a target. The Necromancer is a big target. If you're taking the list with the Spiders variant, they're worried about Spiders. Or even taking a hit from one of those budget Hunter Orc heroes, it's something they can't ignore. So the fact that the banner becomes a, a non-factor almost becomes rather rather forgotten. Now, how many bows do you have on the Hunter Orcs again? It was almost half uh, them, so wasn't it? I've got, it's exactly half, um, rounding up. So so the it's got... Four in the first wall band, it's got four bows. Second wall band, four bows. Okay, it's got thirteen bows on the hunter orcs, and then it's got two bows on the um on Fimble and Nazag. So it's fifteen all up at four plus shoot, three plus on Nazag, and Nazag does get the uh, free might to use in the shooting phase as well. And they all get the, the one plus to hit, don't they? So they're four plus yeah, to so hit. Yeah, four hunter plus. Orcs. Yeah, and yeah. also Nazag um, has. Uh, Something that's overlooked pretty often, it actually killed the Gwei here at uh, Ida Unleashed. He's got uh, Morgul Arrows. Oh, he's got Morgul Arrows. Yeah, he oh, does. Oh, wow. No, I didn't. Yeah, he's, I've he's overlooked that. He's the only model that has it um, naturally. So him in, in bulk. Yeah, okay. So you've actually, this is the closest you can get, I think, to a to a dull Goldor gun line. Uh, just with the chill soul and the, all those arrows going in, you're going to threaten people to come at you pretty comfortably. And when they do, you're going to hit them really, really hard. So, uh, look, I think this is a pretty scary army to take on, quite frankly. You've got low defense across the board. You may be taken out with some corner case stuff. But overall, I think it's pretty reliable. Just throwing lots of dice at all times. Throwing lots of dice in the shoot phase. Lots of dice at magic. Lots of dice at combat means you're probably going to kill a lot. And you've got the maneuverability to get wherever you want to get. Yeah, and I mean, if you take into account, like, you've got the two two variants. You've got the one with the Felwise and one with the Spider. I always prefer every element of the army has shooting. The Hunterhawks have shooting, the Spiders have shooting. Magic is effectively, uh, you know, shooting in itself. I find that it forces your opponent to have to come to you unless they have long-range shooting, in which case I get closer and then the shooting becomes pretty in, in the Hunterhawks' favour, essentially. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's a good army. and You, you know it's a good army because you've played a lot and you've done very well with it, so... I don't have a lot to add to that one. You've had the time to, to refine it. Um, if I was honest, I'd probably take the spider variant because I just I feel like if you take anything from the dull gold or list and you don't take even just a couple spiders, you're probably doing a disservice to yourself. But I can see the wag one working really well as well. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy well, with that thing. list. Well, that's the thing. Like I was thinking about it quite heavily, and I always take the spider. Having 10 fell wags by themselves is actually something that's quite considerable, especially when they move so fast, they can charge what they don't see. And that I'm not saying their staying power is fantastic considering it's only Courage too, but they're also quite good at, at either reconnoiter, jumping off the board, or, or even snagging up objectives. And they're good at digging up, seize the prize as well. Yeah, or just that turn where they finally get to your Hunter Orcs after you've been walking up slowly shooting. They, they, they get in that. You just wrap them all around the entire army, and if they die, they die, but they get all those traps. So once you win a combat, something's going something's going to die, and just that hitting power. Once once the numbers start to get in your favor, you're gonna you're gonna do some serious damage because those hunter orcs do pack a punch. Okay, my second one. I've gone total cop out here. I've gone for the thousand point list, one that I've taken quite a bit, one that I enjoy playing a lot. It's a necromancer with the keeper of the dungeons, and in addition. The Witch King, Nazgul of Dol Guldor. Kamul, Nazgul of Dol Guldor. The Dark Headsman, Nazgul of Dol Guldor. The Forsaken, Nazgul of Dol Guldor. The Lingering Shadow, Nazgul of Dol Guldor. The Abyssal Knight, 
which is also a Nazgul of Dol Guldur. <laughs> and another, another Abyssal Knight, the second Abyssal Knight, of course, why not? The Slayer of Men and the second Slayer of Men, both slaying as many men as possible, and dwarves as well. They actually they should say the Slayer of Dwarves, because that's what their job is to do. Anything else is is something something as a reward for them. A very simple army, 11 models. Uh, it is it is a joy to play with this army. It's fun to play against as well. You won't beat it first time you play against it if it's an experienced player. It takes you some time to learn how to play against it. Uh, it takes you some time to learn to play with it. It's a real interesting army. It's a fun one one. It's sort of... You know, like those those hero armies, like the Fellowship and all that sort of stuff that are, are real Lord of the Rings iconic armies. It's one of those ones, but I feel like it's one of the more effective ones because it can do everything. And it's surprising how well it deals with hordes. It's surprising how well it deals with heroes. And and then by the end game, it can go capture objectives. And it's got a sneaky amount of speed to it. It's just a good army. I'd really love to see this army go up heads up against a thousand point of uh, Thorin's company. Because oh no. Poor Thorin's company. It's in trouble. Plus pony, please. <laughs> Still in trouble. I don't know. I, 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 saw you, I saw that game played out against you. I reckon Thorin's company had uh, played better and uh, have a better crack at it than what I saw happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Ponies will help because the movement will help at all. Like if, if they're only moving five inches, they're never going to combat with me. And I'm just going to walk around and I'm going to attack attack what I want to attack when I want to attack it. Uh, yeah, it, it, yes, you can definitely do better than that, but I feel like the all-hero army is probably what you don't want to play against it. Um, yes, you could get a run. If you if you want an all-hero army, you need a hero army on Cav. So you need to kill things reliably quickly, and then you need to be able to, as Andrea said, threaten the Necromancer. If you can threaten the Necromancer and hit it with some some cavalry on la- with lances, you can pull off the resources really, really quickly. And if you take down the Necromancer, this army will lose, probably. So... Yeah, I don't think that the Thorin's company is the way to beat it. I think it can give it a good crack, but I think if you want to go at like an all cavalry, you know that you know that that Gondor army I have with the Boromir and all those knights of Minas Tirith and their Citadel Guard. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That would be a nightmare to play against with the Nazgul army because that would just hit so hard that every combat would would do a kill. You'd eventually run out of resources, and once Boromir breaks into the Necromancer, which Boromir can resist the Necromancer for a turn or two. Oh, there's there's a lot of trouble happening. I, I would um I would argue that this would struggle against any sort of rank and file, particularly Lothlorien, with any sort of resistance to magic. Resistance to magic is tough, but it's not the end of the world because the Necromancer throws so many dice that I almost just ignore resistance to magic because you only got one spellcaster. Um, the elves, it's tricky against the elves. Yes, the elves are. A tough, you've just got to target down the heroes. It's definitely doable with the, those ones. I'm not so worried about rank and file. I'm I, I, I'm scared of bodyguard troops. I'm not so mm. much scared. Even elves, like, with one minus courage, they're failing some courage tests here and there. I'm being opportunistic. It's a really weird army in that the dying is not scary. You just die, you just die, you just die, you just die. The resurrection rolls are scary, but the dying's not scary. And dying's what you want to happen. It's actually when you don't die that you're in a bit of trouble. But then people start shielding against you, and that's dumb as well, because then I'm eventually going to wear them down. So they have to be trying to kill me to pull off resources, but then I get what I want as well. It's, it's, it's an interesting army. It's not, not, I don't think it's going to win all the tournaments at 1,000 points, but I think it's, it's one that you really have to know how to beat it. Otherwise, you're in a lot of trouble. And you kind of need to be patient against this kind of army too. You're not gonna you're not gonna knock it out in one turn. Yeah, it's gonna take some time to actually you know remove them from the table. Yeah, and look, I'm probably outnumbered four to one most games, but even then, like that's that 
that's enough that I can grind it out and and be okay. Because if if I'm if I'm dying four times to every time you're dying, then I'll I'll resurrect most of those times, especially because I've got the might as well, and I've got the necromancer to be putting constant pressure on. I've got the keeper of the dungeons, which does some cool things in this army. It's 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 surprisingly effective, and it's it's such a hard army to pin down. Like it's the ultimate kiting army because the Nazgul don't care about entering combat if they don't want to. So they can they can spread out and, and skirmish with about half of them while you have your little core of the necromancer, and the core of the necromancer can just avoid. So the enemy comes at you, you avoid, and you can throw some bottleneck Nazgul there to die and then appear behind the army and, and attack something opportunistically. So it's I've talked about it in the tactics. Uh, I've talked about it before. If you if you play a thousand point games and you've got Dolgoldor, try this army out. Just give it a try. It's fun. Carly, do you have a thousand pointer? Well, um, you already did. That's right. Yeah, I did an eight hundred pointer. Oh, no, eight hundred point. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I've got uh, one more nasty one. Yeah, Carly's first. Oh, all right. Well, I do have one more. This is a bit. Uh, I kind of think the uh, if the lowest you could play the Necromancer and it still feel competitive. So I've got a five hundred point list in Warband number one. I have the Necromancer of Dogador. I have two Hunter Orcs with two handed weapon. Four Hunter Orcs just by their lonesome. Six Hunter Orcs with Orc Bow and one Hunter Orc with Banner. In Warband number two, we have a Hunter Orc Captain on Felwag. He has two Hunter Orcs with two-handed weapon and Felwag and three Felwags, again, just by their lonesome. So 500-point list. You're rocking 20 models exactly, three cavalry. I feel like this is the best you get from 500 points while still having the Necromancer. Assuming it's a pure list, yes, I would agree. I think you could tweak this if you had the Azox Hunters around to get um, someone more interesting than that captain, although the march is pretty useful here. Um, not a lot of models, but they all hit hard. Uh, you want to protect them. You don't want them to get shot out. You've got some shooting, but not enough to take on a, a shooting army. But 500, there's only really, what, eight bows you're going against, so you can probably survive that. The Necromancer will be killing a guy a turn to start with. Um, if you've got shooting, you can just uh, hide all the Hunter Orcs, run the Necromancer forward on his own, and just take out an archer a turn, which is um, something I like doing occasionally. I, I like it. For 500 points, you've got some... Like, you can deal with anything. Uh, it's fragile, though, but you've got enough to move around. No Merkle spiders, though. No, I don't really think you can fit them in. I mean, you could, I guess, drop the two Hunter Orcs with, uh, on, on Wag and, and get in one or two. But it's it's a very kind of tricky slope to build on because you need the two attacks and, like, the, the fast mobility you get from the, from the mounted Wag. More often than not, but at the same time, Spider Two could be helpful. I think it's personal preference at that point. I reckon nah. the, dropping the two Hunter Orcs on Felwag and then one of the Felwags or one of the Hunter Orcs for two Spiders, I think, is a pretty good choice. I think, um, no, no, I think Carly's spot on. It's it's really hard to fit Necromancer. I'd even argue under six hundred points, it's probably not viable. Mm. Um, look, I I'd love to see some spiders in there simply because they've got the paralyzed shooting. They've got two attacks at strength five. I think Kyla is right though. That is the best you're going to get at that points value. You've got even though your numbers are on the lowish side, they're not that low. But even though they're on the lower side, you've got to account for the fact that the, everything's rocking at least two attacks um, minus the necromancer, which is actually really good. So when you when you doing the math and you actually add up against other armies it's it's still coming out on top slightly for damage output 
um, obviously looking a bit glass cannonish, uh, and you definitely don't want the captain to die. Otherwise, a lot of that maneuverability is out the window. But it's it's still doable. I, I think that that could be competitive to five hundred points. Yeah, yeah. It comes I'm, necromancer does everything in that army. Yeah, and, and like I said, like this is probably the lowest you're going to be able to get with the with the necromancer, and and feel like you still got some some oomph and power in your army. So you know, I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with what I come up with, and I, I don't think you can go hunter. Uh, sorry, Gundabad orcs in this case. I think you need the hunter orcs because you've only got 20 models. You need that two attacks to keep you alive. Simply, simply because if you have one attack, you're going to get out for it. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. One concern for me is definitely um your your bubble of courage benefits is very small. Uh, I mean. That that list, I dare say, would struggle a lot the second it breaks. I, I, I can't see that being a win-win situation. Once oh, it breaks. If, if if you break, you you better hope that Necromancer get the the stand fast off because uh, if you get if the Necromancer gets pinned whilst you're broken, oh, you're 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 running for the hills, something fierce. Yeah, I think that that list is very much a breaking breaking end game kind of list. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be so conservative with your Hunter Orcs initially. I don't think it's one you can afford to just... Um, you either throw them in combat initially just to keep them safe, or you keep them like out of archer range. And I would say that this is one of those few armies that you wouldn't mind um, just, yeah, the Necromancer wandering forward on its own and just chill soloing for a couple of turns just, to, just to, to get the numbers. At 500 points, you're probably playing between 25 and 30 models. You've got 20 models there. If you can kill three or four before... Like they can, they can react to and see what you're doing. You might have an advantage, but you also don't want to keep all your hunter orcs out and be avoided because if they go and then throw all models in and trap the necromancer, you're equally in heaps of trouble because the necromancer won't do anything for the rest of the game then and may die. Hmm. Yep. Andreas, your third list. Ah, uh, yes. So this one, okay, I went for this 1,000 point list, I went for something elite. See it very often, but this is very much a a hammer and clean up kind of list. So as always, I've gone for, okay, I've gone for something different. It's a, it's an alliance list. It's the Necromancer allied in with Azog's Legion, but the kick for me, and this is purely a tactical choice, is that the Necromancer is not my leader. I've got in Warband 1, I've got Azog on White Wag, Heavy Armor, and, and has the Stone Flail. Um, he's leading 10 Gundabad Warbats, 4 Gundabad Orcs with Shields, and 4 Gundabad Orcs with Spears. And then I've got Warband 2, the Necromancer of Belkaldor. He's leading 8 Orcs with, sorry, 8 Gundabad Orcs with Shield, 8 Gundabad Orcs with Spears, and 1 Gundabad Orc with Shield and Banner. So I've gone very much for a hammer and anvil kind of, kind of battle line set up for this one. But it's actually just my two cents worth. I think it's actually quite. It's got got a fair bit of maneuverability simply because it's got ten flying models, and I believe they're all they're all two wounds as well, strength four, fight three, which actually makes them quite quite good at surviving getting around the battlefield. So if you look through, yeah, warbats are good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously a bit disappointed we don't have a model for it just yet, but that doesn't stop some conversion opportunities. I think this list all up thirty seven models. It's got 10 flying models. It's got two extremely comprehensive and tough heroes. Um, it's got a very solid battle line. And and honestly, I think the bats are great for 
taking off supports when it's battle line versus battle line and even just capturing objectives or or, or reducing the defense of, of high defense armies and, and going for gold there. What are your thoughts? I, think- I actually uh, kind of like it. I really do. Uh, you've got the master of battle there that you're getting some use out of with Azog. You've got the spells, obviously, with the Necromancer. But it, it's kind of in this really weird thing where you just kind of you throw the gun about orcs forward, you run into your opponent, you, you hope they survive, and meanwhile the bats fly over. And they do that one turn where they just like fly over, knock all the key combats over, down, and then the next turn they charge into the back. So you can do some really, really funky stuff with this list, and it's a bit of a gimmick, but, you know, I like a good gimmick. The the Warbats are, are surprisingly good with their the, the 12-inch range, so they can go and really threaten so much things, and they've got a pseudo-shoot attack with the, the pluck. Um, it's... It's a it's really weird rule, but basically you can do some damage. You can knock some models over that are infantry, which is pretty handy. Azog, we know, is an absolute machine. You've got a good amount of might. You've got the six might from Azog and the, the Warg. You've got three from the Necromancer, and then you've got potentially the Master of Battle, which you're definitely going to have on Azog. But that, that only works if people call might around you. But then if they don't, who cares as well? Uh, you can probably kill some heroes early on. You're going to have a feast on those those mid-tier heroes. Like Azog and the Necromancer combined can pretty much... You can just be taking off a hero a turn and and the opponent won't know what to do with them. And even if you just sack the bats to just to just waste time with the heroes while you do that, you're going to be putting the pressure on big time. Uh, it's a bit on the low model side, but at a 1,000 points, oftentimes people run under that average. Like you think about... 50 models being the average of 1,000 points. 1,000 points, people start to get greedy. They think, oh, I'm going to take lots of heroes now, and they start to go under that, and lots of hero armies you can deal with as well. So should be good fun. Uh, I think um, I think actually 1,000 points, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with the model number. I think the, the higher threshold of you get, the more people are inclined to take riskier items, knowing that the rest of the army can support it. And you end up, I think you end up plateauing around the 50 model mark for most standard armies. And in all honesty, 37 models, it's still not a small number. You've got good courage on the Gundabad orcs all around. And the reason I've taken the Stone Flail um, on Azog is essentially, obviously the Gundabad orcs can can hold their own and definitely do some damage to your, your rank and file troops. But Azog by himself with the Stone Flail, he's taking out supports. He's doing some serious damage to normal troops. This is one of those scenarios where Shroud of Shadows coupled in with Azog makes him a huge ticket item. Um, you can't cast spells on him to nerf him. You can't shoot at him. Special rules don't have effect. It's, it's one of those things where if you channel Shroud, um, Shroud of Shadows, there's essentially nothing you can't take on. Nothing short of, not even a Balrog, essentially. Yeah, that's that's true. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hero like a Balrog, wow. Balrog at fight five because of Shroud, and then Azog's like, oh, three plus, that's a wound, that's a wound. Like, it, it's crazy. What I love about sh- uh, your channeling Shroud as well is that usually channeling's a big risk because of the will to resist it, but you know that nothing can resist it because you're casting well, on your it. own model. So I, I feel like that's that's a worthy target of a Shroud of Shadows channeled in there, throwing Azog into something. You just take it out. Like, that. that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't get all the knockdowns and all that sort of stuff, you're running three, four attacks at something with, with what is it, with three plus the wound? Behind. Yeah. yeah, six might behind. You're going to be doing that. You do that over two turns. You're going to be taking it down to a point where it's it's no longer viable. Get a couple more models in, get some chip damage in there, and, and away you go. You've... You can take on you can take on the big things. You can take on the small things. Um, I just I just love the idea of of Azog like calling heroic combats off models into other models. 
So you could potentially Shroud of Shadows um, as old Kunchu, and then he could call a heroic combat as well. Is that right? That's correct because it's it's yeah. he's not he's not called in action by using Shroud of Shadows. It's just it's as if he's wearing the ring. That's yeah. So he could go take on two heroes in a turn, which is which is the Huge ultimate fun well. in in Azog. Yeah, I, I remember one game that that I had a sim not a similar list. It wasn't in the Necromancer. It was Azog against the hero list with like Gandalf and some other stuff, and I I managed to call a heroic combat off Gandalf. Um, and I feel like this is the kind of list that you could do that as well. You could just get so cheeky with it. You've got so much might. You've got the Master of Battle there. Um, Master of Battle means that you've got pretty much strike defense. So if they strike, you strike as well, which is fantastic. Uh, you've got the... the oh, it, it's if you, if you put your models in the right spot, you've got the potential to take on anything. I think it's one that you might, you might end up stuffing up. It might be that someone gets into all your bats and takes them out. But even then, the bats are pretty tough to move. They're aggressive. The Gundabads can hold their own quite well. Uh, yeah, I like it. I like it. it. Looks fun. And at the end of the day, you shouldn't need to use Master Battle if you're already beat fight, fight six at that point, or fight seven if you're not taking the flail. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, you don't need to strike, and and if you're doing, yeah, yeah, you can. Azog's pretty good on his own, and and with the Necromancer support, that's huge. And then yeah, you can just you can chip off nasty stuff. You can throw the Necromancer next to him in combat. You can do all kinds of fun stuff. Okay, my last list. This one, this one's an interesting one. Is that I have played it. Um, I'm going for 800 points. It's an alliance as well. Lots of alliances here because this green alliance, you can pretty much pick and choose what you like. I've gone for my first warband is the Necromancer of Dol Guldur from the Dol Guldur list. Um, he's either got a second warband of the Witch King or and a third warband of the Lingering Shadow. So both Nazgul's of Dol Guldur. In all honesty, I'd probably throw these in the same warband just to keep them together. Uh, because I don't want them all over the place. So that that would be one warband. But I've gone for the Witch King and the Lingering Shadow. Witch King's got the extra might, which is handy. The Lingering Shadow's got the extra movement, which is handy. So that's 400 points on its own. The other 400 points is Bolg with Felwag, Orc Bow with Morgul Arrows. So this is from the Azog's Legion list, giving him the Master of Battle, which is good. And then he's leading a Gundabad Troll with Scythe Gauntlets and a Troll Brute. So he's leading two models, giving me a grand total of six models at 800 points. Um, this army is very interesting. Obviously, it's going to be outnumbered. So any scenario that numbers are happening, it's it's a potential ticking time bomb. But I played against David's fiefdom's army, and we had a ball playing it because it synergizes so well together. You've got Bold with a master of battle that can pretty much take down any enemy heroes in combat. You've got the trolls, which can do huge amounts of damage, and you've got the, the, the Nazgul jumping around, basically stopping the trolls from being trapped, like holding up spots, and just 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 recycling, recycling, recycling. Like They, they just die, but then they jump back, and they, they watch out for the flanks of the trolls wherever I need them. They, they can because they they're dying so much, they can reposition. So the trolls can the brute can just go forward, knock out some models, and then they'll they'll reset up. The necromancer is just a fixer, so he goes and helps out anything. Maybe does a key. He loves his transfix and compel in this army because I can just block up bottlenecks with that. It, it's a it's a real sort of hero death ball. I know it's very gimmicky. I know that that like you want to warn your opponent where you're playing against them because it's it's almost like playing one of those hero Rohan armies that it can be really nasty at times or it can be not fun in certain circumstances. But I feel like from a story point of view, it's kind of kind of fun synergies and it's almost scenario type puzzle play, which um, I don't mind. It reminded me a lot of this old dwarf scenario where you used to have like six Nazgul that, that came in and had to assassinate mm. a hero. And it, it's that kind yeah. of puzzle. Like it's a oh, puzzle to take things out. But I do think I probably wouldn't take it in a tournament. I don't want it to be a catch all army, but it is a fun little experience to play with, with the big trolls and the, the, the necromancer. 
Can I can I burst just one tiny bubble? Yeah. Unfortunately, Bolg cannot have Master of Battle as he is a hero of and the Necromancer must be your leader. Is that how it works now? Yeah, so the highest tier hero Oh, has yeah, to yeah, be okay. No, take it. Yeah, so unfortunately he's only Valor. Yeah, I haven't got to the Azog's Legion uh, one. The, they've changed that Master of Battle quite a bit. That's fair enough. I don't mind that change to it. So he's, he loses the Master of Battle. Who cares? Like, I've still got yeah, lots, right. of, lots of things going on. Yeah. So that I've still got the Necromancer's ability, so that's all fine. Um, I really don't like the change to the, the uh, Azog's Legion where the captains can't get the, the Master of Battle. That was weird. So I thought that was always fun for slow points. But no, okay. My bubble is not burst. It's just like dinted slightly because I still think it's just as fun to play against. Probably probably not as harsh, but Bolg's still got the three might. He can still strike if he needs to. He's still got the Necromancer to do Shroud of Shadows if you need to on pretty much anything in this army. You've got Transfixes you can do, which are always good fun. You've got Chill Souls if you want to go with the, the Morgul Arrow and the Chill Soul early on. Um, I think it's a, it's a fun list. It, w- it was really fun to play against. Both David and I had a ball playing it. I ended up taking out heaps of the fiefdom, but he got the win because it was one of those like hold the middle scenarios. So he did Maelstrom to come on. I, I ate up lots of things, but then I just couldn't get there. I think I had like five or six models at the end game, and he had like seven or eight or something like that. It was it was really interesting. I feel like this sort of list, um, oh, huge fun to play with, interesting to play against. Obviously, if you're playing a very standard rank and file army, but I feel I feel like the the gaping weakness for me is is objective grabbing. I think that's kind of what bothers me. It, it doesn't have a lot in the way of of getting into places really really fast. Um, you said you had a troll brute. Was it a troll brute in in Bogs? Yes, yes. So it's got a Gundabad troll with Scythe. So he's the mm. the killy one. He's fight seven with the four wounds. He's really tough to take down. And the yeah, troll brute is now fight five, but he's basically impact hits. So he's got not a huge amount of impact hits, but he walks through with a high strength impact hit and just can take out a couple models before he gets into combat. So he's the one with... It's a single strength 10 hit. That's right. Yeah, yeah so it's okay. basically three plus to wound almost everything. So he's going at troops and he's, he's not like a war... Um, a war beast where you have to point him in the same direction, he can sort of bounce around. So he can he can sort of create a little bit of a okay. hole and eventually he'll he'll stop, you roll the one or a two. But once he does that, he's pretty decent in combat. He doesn't often get flash killed and the the Witch King and the Lingering Shadow are the perfect like uh wingmen for him because they'll just take off attacks and they'll die in his place. There's something I really like about the list is that um there's a huge amount of survival. I mean all your trolls you're rocking four Bulk is rocking tank stats three three three. Um, you're looking at all your Nazgul, very hard to get rid of. I, I think this is the kind of list that, whilst it may struggle to branch out across the whole field, it'll definitely do it without dying. Yeah, it's a death ball. It's a death ball. Um, it's one of those ones that you do lots of damage. You get to the opponent to break, and then you you send off Bulk and the. The, the Nazgul to, to wherever they want to be while the Necromancer from the Trolls hopefully hold the center objective or whatever and, and away you go. You're not gonna, it's not a world beater, I don't think, but I do I do quite I did have a lot of fun with it. I do feel it's one of those ones that I would warn my opponent ahead of time. I would say something like, Do you mind if I take a, a silly list or do you mind if I take a hero heavy list or do you mind if I take something like that? And and if we're in the mood for that sort of game, I think it's good fun. I wouldn't take it to a to an all comers list because I feel like there'd be there would be some frustrating games with it. But um but it was pretty impressive when I saw it play. Seeing this, um, just for Kylie chimes in, just seeing this, um, it actually makes for quite you taking one half and a friend taking the other. Yeah, I like it as a, one of those double ones for the new double scenarios as well. It's it's a bit of fun in that way. 
Kylie. Me. Well, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know how I feel about it. I honestly don't know how I feel about it. A- a- am I am I intrigued by what you've come up with? Yes. Would I enjoy playing against it? I don't know. Do I think it's crazy and wacky? Absolutely. Um, it, it's it's as you, as you guys both said. It's it's one of those kind of niche armies that you, you definitely want you want to make sure in a friendly game that your opponent knows you're taking ahead of time because whenever you put an all hero army down in front of your opponent, it can be very intimidating to to, to have to play against simply because of how all hero armies function. Um, you feel like you're not making any progress, and then suddenly you make all the progress. It's one of those. Uh, it happens gradually, and then suddenly all at once uh so that, that's kind of something that is kind of how i feel about this list it's it, it's a list that i think you'll have a lot of fun uh pulling out on occasion on a rainy day or or if you want a challenge it does look really cool though you've got the necromancy you've got bog which is pretty intimidating although his, his wag's a bit funny looking but then the trolls i just love putting down those trolls on the board and the necromancer and trolls together is really damn cool yeah, as I said, I, I this 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 list is all about the spectacle, and I love I love that about it. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't mind having a crack at this, like trying to take it down with a with a bog standard, you know, Gondor army or something like that, and and seeing how seeing how you go because uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, like little interesting moving parts. You have got a few options there with you know the spells and the brutal power attacks and so. Yeah, there's, there's some fun to be had there. And I think uh, if you're looking for a challenge or just trying to learn how to hone your skills as like a bit of a practice match, this would be a great list to go up to just to kind of learn how to deal with really weird and awkward situations that don't pop up in average games. Yeah, I feel I feel like um, one, one scenario where it'll be very interesting to play with is if you're facing one or more Iron Hill Blisses. Oh, I'm not. I I say friendly games. I'm not playing that friendly. Those Iron Hill Blisters can stay at home. Oh, oh so it's a friendly game. Oh, okay, never mind. No, 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 no. I, I get your point. The Iron Hill Blisters are, are particular na- particularly nasty. Um, yeah, they they have the potential to just take off a troll or something like that in one turn, or, or even a bog or something like that. So that could be nasty. I think at that point you've got to almost be aggressive and get in with the Nazgul ASAP, but even then they could just shield off their, their ones. The Necromancer can threaten the Blister a little bit, but yeah, I, I, you know, like Ironhill Blisters are a whole, a whole nother episode. Like those things are, are the counter to everything oh. in the game. They're just silly. If you take them, you don't know how to play the game. <laughs> hey, I was trying not to say it. No, I'm going to say it. I, I'd like to be the controversial one. I, I play Iron Hills. I really like playing Iron Hills. I would not take a Blister because I feel like it doesn't do anything for the skill point in the game. I think the Chariot and the Iron Hill Blister should have their points swapped around. I think the Blister should be almost the 200 points and the Chariot should be almost the 100 and whatever it is now, 110 points or whatever they changed it to. Because, 125, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's still a bargain at 125, the Blister, and the Chariot's still incredibly overpriced at 175 Thank or whatever it is. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon um, Podcast. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a weird army. The Green Dragon that, that it's a cool idea, for children, but it's just too elderly, easy. It just does everything. They just, those are the history yeah, of yeah, We talk about lots and lots of stuff. Anyone yes, um, that army will take down almost any of our lists we talked about. Necromancer usually doesn't care about it, but everything else does. at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. 
We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.